No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And so far tonight here on the show, no Ritzman yet. So we're so we're we've already run into problems here on what I thought was going to be a historic edition of the show with three guests at once, but so far we just have the two. But they're two outstanding guests. They're longtime friends of the program, and they are part of the Project Core team, which is this I don't even know how to really describe it, it's this research endeavor that they've been working on for the last year or so and just unleashed the results here at the start of 2015. And it's got quite a buzz going in the world of ufology and uh, paranormal research. And you all know them because they've been on the show a bunch of times. I'm talking, of course, about the illustrious Jeremy Vaney of Paratopia fame, now the uh, host of The Experience on the Dreamland Unknown Country website, excuse me. And, of course, Dr. Tyler Cokejohn, who's been on the show a bunch of times, and uh, he's one of the few legit scientists to be willing to lend his name to the world of the paranormal and paranormal research. So we, we love him for that, as always. So welcome back to the show, guys. And uh, we'll keep an eye out here for Ritzman to call in at any moment, I hope. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Jeff sent me a message. He's trying to log in on Skype. It's not cooperating. All right, all right. Well, once he gets in, we'll, uh, we'll get him on. No worries. It's, uh, it's all going to work out. I've never done a show with three guests before, so uh, it's going to be a little bit crazy here. But now, I, I having done, I should, I was going to use this joke for when Jeff got on. Maybe I'll wait. So uh, let's, well, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll hold the joke until I can maybe get Jeff on too. But so we'll start out. I don't know who wants to answer this, uh, but I guess tell people a little bit about what Project Core is and how did this all start, guys? Because you've been, I've heard, you guys have both been on the show a bunch of times and. It's always been kind of something that would be mentioned at the very end of the show, where it would be like, and the Project Core results should be out soon. So now that the results are out, and people can check them out, of course, at projectcore.net. But tell us, what is Project Core? What is this all about? So whoever uh, wants to kick it off, go for it. Just so there's no long pause. There you have it. Well, Project Core was uh, conceived by Jeff, it was originally just so that we could sort of look at uh, high strangeness phenomena, experiencers of, of all sorts of high strangeness phenomena, um, and just sort of tinker around and look at their stories and see what commonalities and what inconsistencies we could find. Um, and so that was the basic idea. And then it just sort of grew into this um, 
you know, a questionnaire. Uh, we in- invited Tyler uh, to come aboard, and he kindly said yes and brought um, some friends of his as well. <laughs> Uh, so before you know it, we, we had a coalition of people, of, of actual scientists, um, helping us out with this and, and looking at it on their own and, and uh, doing statistical analysis, just, uh, if I can speak, statistical analysis on, uh, on, on some of these things. But it, it was interesting to me to see the, the sort of different types of questions that, say, a Dr. Tyler Cokejohn would, would want to know as opposed to, say, a not-Dr. Jeremy Vaney. Uh, so... Um, it was. I, I think it was a, a good mix of, um, of of questions and of minds applying themselves uh, to this phenomena. Hmm. Now, where did the idea for like the questionnaire come up? Is this like is this? Is this I guess this is a form of like scientific research, right? Because this isn't the first time I've heard about it. Because you know people are always like, oh, you know, anecdotal evidence, anecdotal evidence, you know, blah blah blah. It's not, it's, you know, it's no good. But like, you know, if you if you compile all the anecdotal evidence together and then sort of do what you guys are doing, which is to sort of look for, uh, you know, similarities, differences, and, and and trends, there is there is science behind that, right? That's correct. And so I would say, yeah, a lot of people disparage anecdotal evidence, but it's where you start. Very often, it's where you start. And Jeff's idea of a survey is is really solid. You go ahead and ask some questions. From that, you'll go further and develop some true testable hypotheses and begin to collect the data that will either support or basically refute your ideas and then reformulate as necessary. But uh, the idea of uh, no anecdotal evidence is is useful is is really wrong. In fact, we don't train our students that way. Uh, In in medicine, we make a great deal of case histories. And uh, quite honestly, there really aren't any, any true diagnoses, you have patients, and they all are going to tell you a story. And so we do learn to pay very close attention to the evidence that they present us and then how to, from that, begin to develop a hypothesis about what they have. And this is, this is an integral part of the training of medical students. All right, exactly. So all those anecdotal folks, they can go, they can go piss up a rope. Well, you, you know, they, there's a point there, and, and that is that uh, – Somebody has joked that the, the plural of anecdote isn't data, but it, it's not worthless either. And so I, I understand what they're saying is that you have stories, and, and in the aggregate they're interesting. They may or may not rise to the level of scientific proof, and that's where you start to work to the next level. One problem with science is that you often see that people really don't have enough patience to really employ the scientific method, and it is painstaking. Yeah. And then how many people, you know, give us sort of, a, without getting into the deep numbers, which we'll, which we'll, uh, we'll sort of taggle into the, uh, the deep numbers as we go along, but sort of give me a rough, rough idea of, like, how many people responded, how long was it, you know, give me, give me sort of the thumbnail on, on how it all worked, if you will. Jeff's initial idea was that we would have the survey open for a full year, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we did. I think uh, he uh, posted it. Um, he and Lisa, his wife, put it together and posted it as a, a website uh, and left it open for a full 12 months, at which point we basically closed it. We probably total had 206 to 208, I can't remember the exact number, uh, submissions, and we used most of them. 210 total, thank you. And uh, we used most of them. A couple, a few we rejected uh, because they involved hypnosis, and one of the things that we said is we really – 
would like rather not to cover that at yeah. this particular time. Uh, and then there were a couple others we threw out for uh, other reasons, but uh, we we had over 200 people. And this is quite a quite um, interesting because this survey took some time. These people they answered some questions with the radio buttons, but then they sat down and most of them wrote us a pretty nicely detailed uh, description of their survey. We left it, or I'm sorry, their uh, experiences, and we just left it open. Tell us what happened to you. Yeah. And they did. And, and you know, God love everybody that, that participated, and thank you so much, because they really invested the time. And I was flabbergasted mm. to uh, to see the response and uh, really relieved because I thought we were kind of pushing it too far. It would be too involved. And, too much uh, work for people, yeah. And, and maybe it was for a lot. We, we have no idea how many people looked at it and said, so heck with it, and took off. But we had over 200 people who invested their time in us. And I, I can't thank them enough. They're good folks. They're good folks. Um, now, one of the things I thought it was interesting, which actually uh, it, you say it, it was interesting in the, uh, in the paper here. Um, I'm just going to directly quote it, but I'd like, uh, I'd like Jeremy's reaction to this. But you say it was interesting that two of the most in-depth, detailed, and lengthy accounts received by the survey were from participants indicating that they had been subjected to hypnotic regression. I guess, what do you make of that, that the... You know that these that these two accounts were so vivid, uh, and they came from hypnotic regression. Does that sort of uh, work in with what you think might be the problem with all that, or or what? Well, yeah. There's no way to be it, sure. I was just going to say um, the the thing that struck me about it is that it was very uh, they were very story like, um, so they had a nice narrative flow. You could almost put them into a, a book, <laughs> and, you know, which is what we've come to expect from. Um, experience or literature, right, uh, that, that is hypnotically retrieved. Uh, now, of course, there aren't enough of them to know whether that's just a coincidence or not, but to my mind, having read a number of these things, um, you know, it, it, it smacked of the cookie-cutter story that got pulled out of them, as opposed to other people who um, aren't quite as certain, let's say, maybe, what's going on in their lives uh, and don't have a fully fleshed-out a to B to C to D um, sort of story arc, if that makes sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So they've kind of already like they've they've filled in the gaps. With how how exactly those gaps got filled in is subject to conjecture and, and debate, I guess. But you're you're sort of thinking that you know the hypnosis played a role in that. Yeah, and I, I mean, if beyond Project Core, if you're just asking me personally, um, I actually find it boring. <laughs> now, like I, I look at what people who are really uh, emotionally Im- embedded in the mystery of it, um, how they react and the, the sort of questions they come up with about this stuff. And um, as opposed to this answer that has come out of people uh, that just doesn't ring true to me anymore. Um, there just seems to be a world of difference. Uh, and I, I find yeah. that even more disconcerting, I think. All right. I think we have Jeff on the line here, so let's see if we can uh, bring him aboard the mothership. Jeff Ritzman, are you with us? Yes, sir. I'm very sorry. I'm so late. I'm just I'm aghast at your uh, at your rude behavior, sir. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all good. No. <laughs> Skype, Skype was because not with your arrival, we now have made history with the most uh, with the most guests ever on one show. So. Oh, fantastic! Welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. I don't know if you heard any of that, Jeff, because you were on hold for like a minute. Um, 
But uh, Tyler, did you want to did you want to say anything about the point that I raised here about uh, your observation that the two most in depth, detailed, and lengthy accounts in the survey were from uh, hypnotic regression patients? Yeah, I have to um, agree with with Jeremy's characterization that um, <clears throat> excuse me, we um, we really don't quite know what to make of that. It it is only two people. We did not uh, just to reiterate. We did not really incorporate any of their um, information into the the study itself because they indicated that it was hypnosis. But uh, I agree with Jeremy that you look at this and you get a very detailed, uh, interesting story, well fleshed out, and that could be that that uh, part of the part and parcel of the hypnosis process is to do exactly that, and to or you end up in that point. Uh, whereas other people maybe are not quite so definitive. But we, we can't really say, okay, that is the explanation yeah. because we're looking at two versus 200. So uh, not sure, uh, very suspicious about it. And I, I think Jeremy's idea of cookie-cutter, uh, boring story, uh, it, it just fits right in there with this. Yeah. So. All right. Well, now that we have Jeff here, I thought maybe he could answer this because uh, Jeremy was saying this kind of all started with, you, with your idea originally. One of the big questions that I've been really struggling with over the course of reading the whole the whole Project Core uh, materials is, is it Project Core, all capitalized Core, or just Project Core, capital C Core? I, I think it's either way. Oh. <laughs> was that your big joke? Wow. <laughs> but yes, that was my joke that I have for Jeff. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it can go <laughs> well, either it's way. Well, confused because sometimes you guys write yeah. it all caps, and sometimes it's not written all caps. I think when I when I write it all caps, uh, is it, usually when I'm in a, a crappy mood, uh, and I do it all caps then. But when I'm okay, uh, and we all know how my mood fluctuates, uh, so <laughs> I think I think when it's when it's just oh, a yeah. capital C, I think you know where I'm going. That was the big joke. Sorry, I didn't live up to what you expected, Jeremy. <laughs> well, I'm I'm used to it, so that's cool. Yeah. Wait, what? Anyway, now let's since we got Jeff here, uh, I want to throw a quote of his own um, Adam here to sort of we we sort of talked already about the background, what is Project Core, sort of uh, what what it's made of, I guess you could say, and how it all got made. But I think uh, you you have a pretty a pretty sort of uh, deep or revelatory or insightful is probably the best word way to put it, uh, observation about all this that you share in your reaction piece, and that's that this project is not an answer machine, it's an idea generator. So I guess talk right. a little bit about that that uh, that concept here, because, you know, like a lot of folks, they're hearing about all this, they may tune into this and try and, and think they're going to get an answer to everything, but really it's it's more, like you say, an idea generator. It's kind of like this, this way of uh, coming up with new questions, possibly. Yeah, I think... Um... Well, I think anytime any anybody does a study in this, or anybody tries to do any kind of research that doesn't normally get done, or questions that don't normally get asked, um, that immediately people jump to. I mean, this this community is just full of con- conclusion jumpers. I mean, that's everybody's too willing to to grab the tiger by the tail and never let go, despite the fact that you know it's it's not a tiger and it's probably a rabbit and you're going down a hole. Uh, you know, it's Everybody wants the answers, and they want the the Reader's Digest version of everything. And um, I, I think the way that that um, 
you know, the, t- Tyler's influence on this and Jeremy's influence on this and, 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 and Dr. Ellen Tarr's influence on this, um, uh, including my own input to it, it, it just kind of, kind of took on this, um, I think, I mean, and I'm not trying to blow anybody's horn here, uh, least of all our own, but it's kind of more academically sound than a lot of other surveys that I've seen come along in recent months. Um, and, and I think that for that reason alone, when they see PhDs attached to a study like this, I think the immediate thing is, well, these people are not flaky. You can take this to the bank. And, and while that's true, um, even the PhDs don't claim to have an answer here. I mean, that's not the way science works. That's not the way Tyler works or Dr. Ellen. Um, it's just not, it's, it's not, it's not an answer machine. This is not definitive answers. This is one step of many steps to qualify what we found. Um, and, and it's, it's basically, it's laying a foundation down to say, here's what we got. Now, where do we go from here? And how do we qualify the results that we got? Um, that would be probably the next step down the line. But um, I think it. I think it. It, uh, it. It. For me personally, I mean, my own personal view of it is, it kind of. Uh, it, it halfway solidifies some thoughts that I had, but then I think about the narrowness of the study itself, and that we need to get somewhat broader or if we're not going to go broader with the study, then we have to solidify components that we found that we think are interesting. So it's only the first step, and I just really wanted people not to like take this and try and establish some new ideology based on what they think they see in results and then say, well, this, these people worked with, with, with research scientists. It's got to be, you know, it's got to hold more weight. And I think it does, but I think, again, people are all too willing to grab onto anything and, and say, yes, this validates my opinion, and furthermore, and go on and on. It's just not that kind of study. This is not where we wanted to go. Exactly. Why feed those goats anyway, man? Indeed. I want to give, we should give props here, uh, because I know Tyler and Jeff and Jeremy are doing the, uh, they're sort of doing the media rounds for this, but we want to take a moment here and mention Kimball E. Cooper, Ph.D., and also Dr. or, uh, yeah, D. D. Ellen Carr, Ph.D., uh, both of whom are on the uh, project core team as well, so yep. that way they uh, they get they get their due here. Are these are these folks that work with you, uh, Tyler, or are they like just folks you knew? These are people I work with. Uh, Kim Cooper and I have been friends for probably 15 years, and uh, we've taught classes together. We taught a class basically on exobiology, which would now be called astrobiology. Uh, we've uh, taught uh, a number of, uh, I guess, standard medical classes for uh, different programs. Uh, Ellen Tarr is uh, a relatively new addition to our microbiology department. She's literally ac- across the hall from me, and uh, she does uh, uh, all the, the same teaching I do. We team teach everything, but uh, she's uh, microbiology and immunology, and uh, very, very good with uh, DNA sequence analysis. When uh, I have questions about Bigfoot, uh, a sequence or whatever, I say, Ellen, can you run this through uh, Gene Bank? And within a few minutes, she's given me the answers. Yeah. She's really skilled at this. She's also um, the force, the, the real force behind uh, the uh, internal data analysis, the, the uh, statistical analyses 
basically playing one situation of data against the other. And uh, Ellen came up with that uh, on her own and, and uh, just kind of put it all together and showed it to us, and we were just really uh, amazed at uh, what all she had done. Yeah. So uh, it's been a tremendous addition to the, the project. Yeah, I was saying before we started, I didn't get a chance to read the whole uh, her whole response piece, but I liked what I read so far. So she seems like good people. She has a, a very interesting history. Uh, maybe one day you'll have her on the show. But, um, yeah, she's a, a scientist in every sense of the word. And uh, really, really, I think you find out if you interview her, unbelievably smart. And so you just give her a couple little hints and threads to pull on and Boy, she's she's got the ability to really really take it apart and tell you what the story is. Nice, nice. Well, we need more people like that in the uh, in looking at all this stuff. Well, one thing that stood out to me, uh, you guys also make the point that it stands out um, is the uh, is the statistical difference between uh, the men and the women responding. It was like forty three percent women and fifty seven percent men. You say the uh, the difference from an equal ratio was large enough to be statistically significant. Do you think that, I guess, what's your take on that? Part of me thinks, I just think partially that, that you know, the paranormal, because you guys did sort of call this from the paranormal community, so it's like even even paranormal fandom is uh, is more men than women. At least it feels that way. That, that might actually be a better indicator of what the statistics are. Sometimes it feels like it's 80% men and 20% women in, in the world of the paranormal, but, but it may just be 57 to 43, but at least... Uh, it, it seems like the numbers you got here, as far as respondents goes, kind of coalesces to the idea that there's more there's more men than women in the uh, in the paranormal realm, especially like abductions and ufology, which is kind of where this where this sits. Um, I don't know who should I throw this one out to, Jeff. Jeff, uh, you're a keen observer on sort of the socio trends of uh, of the, all this all this mess. So, what do you make of the the uh, the statistical statistically significant difference there between men and women responding to the survey? Um, you know, I I got to say I was surprised <laughs> about that because, I mean, at least when it comes to, um, I mean, I'm more plugged into the UFO thing than I was the ghost thing. I'm not, I'm still not all that familiar about the ghost community and, and even the parapsychological community. I just took a course in parapsychology and, and I I didn't recognize many of the names that were there. Some I did, but um, when it comes to the UFO thing, and when it comes to people who are experiencers in it, I've always found the majority to be women. Um, you know, whenever I went to some kind of group meeting or uh, what they refer to as support group meetings, um, I found it to be majority women. Um, and I found it interesting because I thought, well, an anonymous survey um, is is probably going to bring people who wouldn't normally talk about it, you know. Um, hmm. And I think there was a fair amount of, of, of cases that we got where, where the description said, I've never really talked about this before. Um, I remember seeing that at least a few times in there. And, I, I mean, I wonder if men weren't more comfortable talking about it um, than than women in a in an anonymous situation. I mean, I mean, guys are guys. I mean, you know, yeah. um, guys are guys, and guys don't normally look look to to put themselves out there as the 
as the weak one who you know screams mm. in fear like a girl. You know, um, <laughs> uh, that's never bothered me to say that because it's true. Uh, but you know, I think maybe some men don't want to do that. But I was frankly surprised at that, to be honest with you. Um, and at least so what I've seen of the you know, yeah, at least what I've seen of yeah. the ghost crowd. I mean, there's a lot of women there too. Um, but there's a fair amount of men. It's, it's a more mixed bag there. Yeah, it's it's certainly a mixed bag there. Uh, I think more so than in ufology when it comes to experiencers. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think it's yeah, it's, I think... it's more it's more equally dispersed, I'd say, in the ghost field than the UFO field as far as experiencers per se. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I was looking at it through my own sort of lens of uh, of the quote unquote experts. Because there it is, mm. there there it is, predominantly men, which is kind of interesting yeah. when you think about it. If 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 your observation is that it seems like it's more women that are having these experiences, it's unfortunate that that they have they have only uh, predominantly men to turn to to help with this with this research and everything. Yeah. Well, men are the problem solvers, right? I mean, that's what that's what we do, right? <laughs> we we refuse to just <laughs> listen. We just we're just problem solvers, you know. We'll we'll take care of it and. You know, uh, maybe that plays in there somewhere. But, I mean, I, I have to say, you know, that's one of the hardest things about doing a project like this is to kind of set, set your own your own thoughts aside is when you're looking at the, the information that's coming in. It's just to take it for what it is and stop trying to fit it into your preconceived box. That was the, that was not easy to do for me, at least. I mean, I, I always saw things and went, oh, wow, look at that. And I'd have to have Tyler or somebody pull me back and go, now, just wait a minute, you know, look, think about what you're getting. Think about who we got these accounts from. Think about who we pulled and how small the, you know, all these different factors. So it's really hard to do. Um, yeah. When you've kind of had experiences and you know certain things about it or you think you know certain things about it, to set those aside and go, well, I've got to look at this as objectively as possible. And um, And if you care enough about it, then I think we all do on this team. We care enough about it to, to be bothered. I think you want to give it its honest due as far as a, an honest look. So There was only one part of the of the survey results uh, that I found sort of like that made me uneasy, probably the best way to put it. It has nothing it has nothing to do with like you guys, so don't don't uh, take it that way. But it's um it was the IQ test results because there's a part of me that just thinks like that it's like penis size. You're always going to exaggerate it, you know? So it's like IQ test results, dude. No one's going to be like, well, apparently two people said they had below average IQ test results, and then 130 people said they had above average. It's like, really? Really? Like, I don't, you know, and it's like an anonymous, you know, so that to me it's like I don't but you, I don't know what you can even do with that. Like what, what you know, what should you throw it out or do you have to like go further into it and actually have them? do an IQ test, it's like, oh, geez, you're already talking about, we were saying it's hard to get them to fill out the survey in the first place because it's long. It's like as you go further in depth, maybe you go down to a smaller pool. I don't know, but what what do you think about the sort of the trickiness of that? Vaney, I'm going to turn to you on this because uh, I want to share the wealth. So, Vaney, what do you, what do you think about the, <laughs> you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to really get a handle on that. Yeah, well, that's um, – I had a problem with that too. I had a problem with that, and I had a problem with um, blood type because I thought, you know, who really knows their – do this many people know their blood type offhand? Um, yeah. I, so what do you do with it? I don't know. I, I think you – you unfortunately, if you're going to do the science, you do have to uh, 
have them prove it. <laughs> you know, show me your hmm. show me your results. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's um, there are two slippery slopes. One is what you just mentioned. Nobody wants to be the dumb person in the room. But the other one is that we've we've all heard um, from other surveys whether they were well done or not. We've heard about them. Um, involving experiencers uh, of at least visitor phenomena. Um, and it talks about blood type and it talks about people having high IQs. You know, these experiencers have high IQs. So I think if you hear right. this, it's probably easy to just assume it. But it's funny because some of those people who say that they have high IQs um, were also not quite literate. <laughs> so... You know, yeah. I mean, unless they were <laughs> yeah, from a foreign right. country, I can I can forgive that. But if they, if you're from America and you know you're you don't quite have a handle on English and your IQ is Einstein, there's a problem. Uh, now, what right. I would ask <laughs> Tyler actually, he's probably the best person to ask this is, uh, given that that problem, does that say anything about the rest of the data? You know, I mean, does the rest of the story necessarily does it necessarily follow that we can't trust anything else that, that those people say or not because people compartmentalize the stuff that they lie about due to shame or whatever factor. I'll just start with the first thing that kind of falls out to me, and that is that you guys are absolutely no fun whatsoever. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> the second I saw this, I'm going, oh, great. Now we've got something we have uh, a discrepancy. I agree. If the average IQ is 100 and everybody's reporting that they're at 150, um, that's a potentially verifiable finding. Mm. And, and this is the, the part of what Project CORE is actually intended to do, is we get these statements, these hypotheses. Now we have a hypothesis. More to the point, we have one that can be answered relatively definitively without too much work. Now, we can't do it on uh, an anonymous basis, or we can't do it by assertion, we would have to get people and test them. But we could certainly find out and, and put a number to this. And that's what it's all about. Does it mean... Oh, God. Well, does it mean that everything is invalidated? Uh, if you want to uh, view it that way, you could. However, the way that we put it out there was uh, basically, you know, tell us about yourself or whatever they did, uh, it's up to us to kind of collate that and see what sense we can make out of it and how we might pursue it into the future. So I say, heck no, it, it's a great finding. Let's pursue it. Let's see where it takes us. I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah, because it stands out so much that it, it, it raises itself as a, an area worth exploring more. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, to me, that in a nutshell, that is, in fact, the true essence of Project Core, that you begin to look at these statements, blood types being another one. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but uh, somewhere I think I, I remember reading that something like 50 to 60% of uh, adults actually do know their blood type. And uh, we're not too far off of that, that mark, although to be very honest with the um, uh, demographic data, I really resisted uh, taking that and making comparisons to the general population for fear that people would take this as gospel fact. Oh, we they have this blood type, therefore, uh, th these are the facts, this is what it is. And we, we can't say that. We would, to, to really work that out, just like the IQ test, we'd have to get a small subsample of people and actually do the blood type testing. Uh, frankly, anybody that would take an assertion like that for a very readily uh, measured parameter is not a very good scientist.
you just don't trust to you know somebody's word. You test it. Well, unfortunately, ufology is full of not very good scientists. <laughs> That's what Jeff was getting at too. Is that you have people that are uh, claim jumpers and they want to get you know basically uh, way out there on uh, uh, something, anything, whatever hmm. thread they can seize on, and that is unfortunately the antithesis of the, the scientific method. People do get very impatient with that, and you'll hear a lot of times when people are saying, if you would just open your eyes, you could see, and it's very clear and it's very apparent, but in the world of science, sometimes clear and apparent doesn't hold. You get in there and you dig a little bit and you find out it works the opposite of the way you thought, yeah. and, and so we, we just can't get ahead of ourselves no matter how much we want to. Well, yeah, the blood thing is interesting because, it, 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 from what I understand, it's sort of correlated with a previous sort of idea that had been floating around in, in I don't even know, ufology or abduction research, that a certain blood type is more prone to abductions, right? That's that's kind of the the interesting yeah, RH negative. development. Yeah. And, and when you, you dig in there, uh, one of the, the earlier assertions uh, actually was not so much uh, definitively RH negative, but a rare blood type which I was interpreting as uh, the type AB, which is the rarest in the human population. And these things have kind of evolved and morphed, so it's not clear what the original sources were and what the claims were, but as Jeremy said, it eventually kind of boiled down to RH negative. About 15 16% of the population is RH negative. And if you um, go back and, and look at um, the numbers that we get, we're beyond that. We're we're over that number. But the, the question becomes, uh, is that real or was it induced by what people know should be the case or what they feel should be the right answer? Mm. Um, that's something that's pretty easily uh, actually clarified. Yeah, we just get their blood type. Yes. <laughs> and um, if, I can, uh, if I can shoot this in here real quick, um, yeah. it, the two things that, that I, I kind of mulled over going further with and trying to qualify is the blood type and the IQ. And the blood type, it seems like it's fairly simple. Tyler kind of turned me on to a home test kit that can be ordered online. It's very easy. They could they could prick their finger. They could smear it on a card and take a picture. And that would kind of give us a, an accurate blood typing, you know, for, for what our purposes are. That's fairly open and shut. In talking to well, I only contacted three and gotten answers from three um, about the IQ test. It seems like the psychological community is very divided on what they consider to be a valid test of intelligence. Um, there are, I mean, a couple of them that I respond that I asked them. I said, "Would you be willing to to write one up and then and then basically go over the results? In other words, would you be willing to join this team to make that happen to qualify these results?" and Two of them already responded back with, well, what exactly are we, are we measuring? Are we me- measuring uh, extrapolative intelligence or book knowledge? Um, and I said, well, okay, well, what would, hold more weight? what would hold more weight? Which would be more valuable? And they said, well, both are valuable. You have to decide which, oh, which that you're going to go for. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, okay. I didn't even know there was extrapolative intelligence, um, you know, which right. – uh, you know, which is a whole different thing from book smarts. I mean, uh, book smarts. Yeah, we could put together a decent thing for that. But how do you keep people from cheating? 
Um, because that's going to be the first thing that a, a skeptic points out is, well, they could have looked that up on Google, you know. Right. When you're sitting atop the largest database in human history, it's pretty easy to cheat on a, on a home test, right? Mm. So, you know, uh, but when you're talking about extrapolative intelligence, then you're getting into more abstract questions that there really wouldn't be an answer to. Um, yeah. So that may be the way to go. But that said, the psychological community is kind of, almost saying, well, these things aren't really a good measure. Um, at least that's what I'm hearing from some corners of it. So I'm not sure if we're going to be able to validate that, because I'm not even sure, you know, in other words, what, what IQ test did they take was the question that that one asked me. I said, when we got the answers, this is the answers we got. And they said, well, what one did they take? I said, well, I don't know. He goes, well, you can't qualify that. You would have to have some yeah. kind of standard that was that would be sent out. And then you could gauge it and see if you're right or wrong, but they're questioning the value of these tests. So I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It's the IQ pulling is tough. Unless you hit, like you like yeah. you said like you were trying to do there, unless you got a thing that was uh part of the whole thing, you know. Like your own IQ test right. was designed to Did they it. mention anything about emotional quotient? Yeah, I mean <laughs> there there's well there are several portions to the IQ test and one of them deals with that. Um, and, and, you know, and the one said, yeah, I could definitely call something together, but I think you would be hard pressed to find a consensus among all psyche, the psychiatric community, that this is of uh, extreme value. Um, apparently they're as divided on this as, you know, as, 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 as a lot of other things in their field, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, cosmology right now is being turned on its ear by a lot of things and, it seems like this is what I'm finding with a lot. Like you won't get a, a, a general consensus where they all agree this is a solid, valuable test, and this is a yeah. accepted form of judging the person's ultimate intelligence. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly what to do with that. I'm waiting for five or six more to respond to me, uh, if they will at all. But, um, you know, uh, I, I just have to see how it pans out. But that's the part I'm having trouble with. The blood test is no problem. We can do that. <laughs> um, moderate funding, and we're away uh, with that. But yeah. the IQ part is is going to be kind of weird, I think, to pin down. Yeah, you may have to just, uh, you know, in the future, move away from that and move more toward the uh, medical stuff, like Tyler was saying in his, uh, uh, in, in the, I forget where, I think it was Tyler was saying, it might have been one of you guys, just the genetic uh, we're getting more and more genetic information nowadays, and eventually they'll be able to just get a ton of genetic information easily, like that home kit you're talking about for blood types. So sure. it might be easier to mine for data in that stuff than it is for IQ, because IQ, this yeah. IQ thing sounds like really subjective. You know what I find odd uh, on that note, and this is not necessarily Project Core, but um, just how many people in ufology now, how many alleged experiencers are standing up and saying uh, that they have hybrid DNA, that they are part alien? And this is something that you could now test and prove one way or another. Why would they stand up and say that? But anyway, I'm glad that we can at least be able to test for that if we ever decided to. Right, right. Well, that's what Tyler calls the true tragedy of, uh, or you guys, you guys say, is the uh, true tragedy of alien abduction research. Um, and I th- the reason I attribute it to Tyler is because we've had this conversation on the on the show before that uh, that all these claims can be put to the test like overnight, and no one, no one's willing to do it, or no one does it. So, 
you know, it's it's ridiculous. I hate I really I hate to use the word hate, but I will. I hate those people that say that they're that they're hybrids and stuff because it's like, did prove it or shut up? Like you can prove it now, do it or shut up. That's my attitude with those people. You're just wasting my time. Um, let me jump to a different area here. This is right in Tyler's wheelhouse. I thought this was really really interesting and and strange. Um, in the general medical issues part of the of the paper here, uh, the survey responses suggest that the rate of head injury is much higher in paranormal event experiencers. Um, now, Tyler, you're you know you're you're working with the head all the time here. You've done a lot of look, looks at all this stuff. So, what do you what do you make of this? It's something that we really need to follow up. Uh, one of the things, one of the the problems, or if you want to, the way you could criticize Project Core is that the the questions are open-ended enough that you're not sure with precision that we're talking the same thing with the respondent. You know, the, I wrote the question, I have something in mind. They may interpret it differently. Hmm. The way that it's often done, like when we work with Alzheimer's disease, what they'll say is, uh, have you had a head injury that led to loss of consciousness? And sometimes they'll even specify a time period. And when we go back and use that as a risk factor for future dementia, we find that it's a very heavy risk factor yeah. for such things. Uh, so we would have to, to uh, go back and, and call those specifically and ask them uh, with more precision what's going on. Hmm. Uh, the, the entire, uh, well, I shouldn't say the entire thrust, but a lot of the questions that I asked uh, on that survey were actually uh, getting at relatively easy to figure out issues in terms of cardiac function and brain function. And cardiac function, of course, being um, a prerequisite for a good, <clears throat> a good level of consciousness and alertness. And that, was there an easy explanation? You know, that, oh, yeah, your brain doesn't work right. And uh, we're not really um, at this stage ready to, to make any such um, claims, okay, or uh, delineations. But that's part of the goal is, you know, how many of these things might have a, a clearly recognizable uh, medical issue. And so a traumatic brain injury is something that's received quite a bit of attention. You probably follow the NFL, uh, the issues there, and, and oh, yeah. how this is really turning to be a debacle for them. Uh, and we have uh, a number of players that live here in the valley, uh, in Paradise Valley, uh, who are uh, tragically young and having uh, what appears to be really bad battles with dementia. And so uh, injuries like that can lead to uh, gross changes in uh, just cognitive function and ability and then kind of, uh, I guess, uh, even emotional issues with some of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the only other thing that kind of stood out to me, again, is it's kind of along the lines of IQ. Uh, maybe you guys can sort of like flesh this out a little bit, but you, you asked folks, um, let me see how it's described here, activities and opinions, and under and, un, and for creative, a whopping 87% said they were creative, which to me, again, sort of speaks to this idea of like, do you have a high IQ? No one's going to be like, I'm not creative. So to me, it seems like it's kind of a, that's a tough one to sort of crack, but I guess, how do you define creative and, and you know, how do you, how do you, I guess use that information to to try and come up with some other ideas, uh, you know, to to look at this further. Because like you said, it's not an answer machine. This isn't. We're not going to get answers to all this. But given that creative was such a whopping uh, response, it makes you wonder uh, if there's more there. I don't know who to throw this to. Does anyone have a strong well, opinion I, on I the actually, creative part of it all? 
Yeah, I actually think God, it goes it goes a different way with creative because you would think that if you're if you're doing a survey like this, you would not want to say you're creative because then we'll go, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're fantasy prone or, or whatever. Um, oh, I see what so I think saying. it would yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah, it would work the opposite way. Um, I mean, to me, I, I'm trying to remember how the how the actual question was worded, if it was more, are you artistic or are you creative? But, um, I mean, to me, it's it's consistent with what I think at least Jeff and I have seen over and over again, which is um, artistic types, writer types, uh, tend to be experiencers. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at the part here now where you say that. Uh... Well, one thing that that Jeff actually pointed out uh, previously is that uh, we kind of have a feeling, just like Jeremy said, that artistic types, writer, writerly types, are uh, experiencers, and it could be that they're more represented represented amongst people who self-report as experiencers, and part of that being able to describe what they have encountered Hmm. or being willing to do that and not being so encumbered by, uh, you know, other factors that might keep you silent. And so what we may see is uh, an artifact, if you want to think of it that way, of who will report. And so I I would say that the creative part, what what I had envisioned is it would be people who were uh, artists of one sort or writers uh, people engaged in uh, perhaps uh, computer programming, something where you have to make something new, where you yeah. face a, a, a blank page and you fill it in. And I just had a feeling that we would probably see a lot more people now th- that are, report that. What that will ultimately play out as being, we don't know. These are one of the things where you'd have to actually have a detailed one-on-one with uh, the person and begin to uh, ask them questions and kind of, filter out where they're coming from, what they mean, what you mean, right, right. and then try to, to uh, come up with a coherent story. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. It really stands out. What about the participation in occult practices? What do you, what do you, how do you define the occult practices in general? Is this like people who sort of are into like witchcrafty type stuff, or how, did you even, do that just you leave that open-ended for them? Jeff? Bueller? I, I think, I mean, I, I left that kind of open-ended. Um, yeah. As far as that went, I mean, to me, you know, if you fooled with a Ouija board uh, to any great length, I mean, that to me is is kind of going into an occult practice of some sort or another. Definitely. But again, you know, as as Jeremy said, you know, over and over you find people that um, – and I usually ask the same questions. I mean, I've done this for probably, I don't know uh, – over 20 years, I've asked people the same set of questions. You ever take an IQ test? What was your score? Um, you know, what's your ancestral heritage? Um, are you know are do you, are you are you creative? Are you an artist? Are you a writer, uh, musician, etc.? Um, and have you ever fooled with the occult? Uh, and what's your relationship to altered states? In other words, uh, psychedelics um, or or any sort of you know thing like that. And over and over you get, um, uh, oh, well, the occult thing, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Wiccan. Or, or, or yeah, I've, I've studied uh, hoodoo and voodoo, or I've studied this, or I, you know, yeah, I do sigil magic, or I've, I've messed with this. I mean, over and over and over I found that with people. So I slid that in there uh, just to see what would happen. And I did leave it kind of open. You know, their their definition of an occult practice could be, Wicca, it could be sigils. It, I mean, this is, you know, this sort of things getting broad attention these days with the 
emergence of the paranormal in in popular culture coming coming to the fray again i mean it's it's um it's kind of an open ended question but um but you do find that people who are engaged in this kind of experience uh or not um do or or do or have shown an interest in the occult at one time or another um yeah. and so i wasn't surprised at that again that's something that we could qualify and say are are people who practice wiccan uh religions are they more susceptible to what form of paranormal activity i mean this can get extremely granular really quick and um mm. and so that that could be another potential way to go but you know it just like the creative i mean what is the definition of that what makes somebody think that they're creative is it you know do they do freaking latch hook kits on the weekend or, you know, are they a commercial designer with a full-time job? Um, I mean, it's one in the, uh, the spectrum to the other. So I think yeah. that kind of thing has to be, um, you know, again, gradually narrowed down uh, into that granular level, which is what we should be, you know, taking in the next step. Right, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. It's really cool because this is the beginning of a larger concept. So, like, you can take Absolutely. all this stuff and then realize what areas you need to, you know, um, flesh out, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, dig deeper into it. Now, I was completely I, – I made a mistake here in my notes because I was under the impression that uh, favorite numbers represented in experiences and favorite colors represented in experiences was was predominantly yes, but it's actually predominantly no. So, I guess my question, though, is just, like, wh- whose, whose idea was to throw that in there and – um I mean, what were you what were you kind of wondering with that with that question or with that uh, with that stipulation, if you will? Uh, those were actually both mine, and it just dawned on me that in my own personal um, UFO experience, the first that I had, the, the UFO was this bright green, which uh, is my favorite color, or you know was, and that people report, and you know I've certainly experienced the three knocks. You know, they talk about. Um, or maybe the beings coming to you in threes, or this sort of thing. So I just thought, huh, you know, is that a coincidence? And apparently it is. <laughs> you know, three being my favorite number as well. Um, I just thought, well, it, you know, if my thinking was, if it's not a coincidence, then, you know, is is there something out there reaching out to us to, um, to grab our attention, and, and how would you do it? You would um, hmm. maybe incorporate things that, that appeal to us that we'll remember favorite numbers, favorite colors. Now, also, it was interesting here that um, about the third-party witnesses of paranormal experiences, because it sounds you you make the argument here that the results suggests investigators should be alert for the possibility approximately one third of all events may offer the potential for independent witness corroboration, which seems incredibly high because, it, to me at least, I, I was really surprised by that by that number, the 30% of uh, the respondents that there was a witness. It, I guess, what do you, I, I don't even know, I guess, what do you make of that? What's your What's your take on that? Because it just seems from all, all the stories you ever hear, it's always like, seems to me always, more often than not, there are no witnesses. And it would be interesting to know if the, there's no way you could know this, right? But it would be interesting to know if these if these witnesses were, you know, filled out the survey too. Or what kind of witnesses these were? I guess it's very intriguing that that whole part of it. Um, did anyone? Did that? Did that tickle anyone else's fancy? 
Tyler, say something. You're you're my resident <laughs> doctor on the show. What do you what do you make of this, Tyler? All you scientists on, are always Tyler, like, oh in. well, if it's just a guy in a field, it doesn't count. So th- this is saying that 30% of the time it's two guys in a field. Yeah, it's actually a tremendous opportunity. And uh, w- what I would say is, um, we did not ask uh, experiencers. Uh, who had witnesses to have that person fill out the survey or anything such Hmm. as that. But that would be a very obvious first thing to do is to try to compare how the accounts um, line up. But the other thing that's quite fascinating is if you combine that with the um, idea that so many of these people have experiences that extend across their lifetime, and, and one after the other, that we or they could possibly anticipate them. And uh, and get ready, you know, mm. for the next one. Right. Uh, now, there's always going to be the human factor, uh, like if a UFO appears and you got your camera in your hand, but you're so uh, in awe of the UFO, you don't think to take a picture. I can I can understand that, but we have a chance. And so the first thing I'd say is, it's not going to be some guy out in the field all by himself, and and no way to corroborate that. We might very well be able to get more than more than a few. And, and see what the common threads are. That was one of Jeff's basic ideas, uh, is, uh, as he framed it, what was, what is the connective tissue between mm. these things. And so here's, here's a way where you would have experiencer linked to non-experiencer, same environment, same time. So it's, it's really quite fascinating. And uh, the first thing I'd say is whenever you, you recognize as an investigator that this has happened before, you have a strong probability of it happening again, and you could maybe take steps to exploit that. Yeah. So for me, I find it really intriguing and, and a true opportunity. But again, we're not going to be able to do that anonymously. We're going to have to get people that come forward and are willing to maybe have uh, intrusive uh, mechanisms, uh, you know, whatever the situation would be, right. that they will tolerate. Yeah, it would be interesting to do like a project where you round up like where you where you're only looking for like pairs or multiples. Do you know what I mean? Of people who yeah. had an experience, because then you could take their experiences and and look at them and maybe find key differences. You know what I mean? Find something differences or or similarities that might that might uh, come out of that, especially in, in a in a large survey like what you guys have done. If you did it like where you brought in a lot of people that were in a joint thing. And I think that was exactly the best point. I mean, the thing is, for me, is I would be curious to know how does the how does the single experiencer witnessed event how does that compare to two, three witnesses? Um, What's the what's the difference in what they perceive? And then individually, what's the difference in what they perceive? Because we all know we've heard it before, murmured underneath the surface. Of this is another thing that ufology sadly doesn't want to talk about is, um, you know, uh, to to any great degree anyway, um, that uh, three people witnessing the UFO report, two may see the same thing, one may see something completely different. Um, Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, then you can really dig into it. Yeah, yeah, and I think ufology doesn't want to really dig into that because that means it's probably not little green men from Planet X. Um, yeah. which is the popular go-to answer. That means it's something more, and it probably has something to do with us. Um, you know, and, and again, if you're talking about shared experiences um, and how they differ from single witness events, then uh, to extrapolate it even further, I mean, what is the interplay between the two people having the experience? 
Are they in a state of uh, liminality? Are they in a situation where they're marginalized, or in they, are they in an anti-structural situation? Is, is it a husband and wife? Is it, um, or is it a husband from one marriage and a wife from another who are attracted to each other, and then exactly, boom, yeah. normally erupts in the middle? I mean, you could extrapolate it six ways on a Sunday, and um, but I'd be more interested in what is the single experience they're seeing versus the 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 two or more witness well how do hmm. how do they how do they differ in dynamic uh and in situation and in set and setting what is the difference there i mean there there probably is one let me just throw in um just sort of as an odd example maybe uh jeff and i uh, had an experience at a bus stop of seeing um well arguably two objects or lights in the sky, but at least one that may have changed color. Uh, but so we're at a bus stop. It's late at night. We're outside. There's a whole bunch of people. And uh, we figured out that this thing was sort of directional, that you kind of had to be uh, standing where we were, um, wherever we were, <laughs> as we ran out into the parking lot to get a closer look. You had to be in a certain position to see this thing now uh now uh, here's something i don't think either of us had thought of until you just sparked this question in me now which is okay so these people can't see it right wherever they are um around us but they can certainly see us freaking out over something and there yeah. was no interest <laughs> right <laughs> there was no question of what are those guys looking at what are they what are they confused yeah. by what is going on there was none of that and so is that part of the phenomena like what is what is that? I just think it adds such a, a to 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 have that as an example adds a further wrinkle to uh, yeah. to you know more than one person seeing a thing. And, and I think we have to point out here that 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 sighting of that weird thing, whatever it was, um, you know, it, it happened at a moment where some other weird things all came at the same concrete moment. I mean, there was a light that was flickering that wasn't flickering before. The light would flicker the object would show up in the sky. The light would flicker again, it would go away. Uh, that happened time after time. I mean, we watched this for minutes. I mean, it wasn't quick. It was minutes. Um, it coincided with the same weekend that we lost Mac Tony's. Uh, it coincided with Jeremy's bus oddly not showing up and very little concerned by the administration at the bus stop to that effect. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a bus doesn't show up and they don't care. Just wait for the next one. Well, where's that bus? Well, we don't know. <laughs> that sounds like any me? bus van he takes. I think it also <laughs> coincided with. I think it also coincided with our uh, sleeping over at um, Mark Nesbitt's at place, Mark Nesbitt. uh, which yeah. was haunted. Right? It was that weekend. That's that's correct. And to which we also got uh, significant activity at 3 a.m. Um, you know, of that weekend. Yeah, we got some really interesting stuff at that investigation. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, that was, that was really over the top. And I should say that, um, in the end, the thing responded to voice command. <laughs> That's the best way I'll put it. Um, nice. and I don't, I don't know if enough time has passed that we can talk about that or not, or if we already have, but yeah, we already know, have. But, but then at that point, I mean, it's like, yeah, there's definitely something weird, uh, that if you were with, a single person, how would a single person react to that? Whereas I think I was a little bit braver because Jeremy was there to walk out in the parking lot. And I yeah. thought, 
after the fact, I thought, why should that matter? <laughs> you know, what the hell is Jeremy going to do if something's going to happen? What's he going to do, protect me? What, are you kidding me? I mean, and that's not to say Jeremy's a coward, but, I mean, what would we do? There's nothing either of us could do. But because we yeah. were there with each other, we felt more bold, I suppose. But I wouldn't have done that if I'd have been there alone. I'd have said, I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. Did you notice any difference between what you guys saw? Like, did you, did you, like, going back to what we're talking about here, was it, did you guys get, you know, afterwards, were you, like, you know, kind of comparing notes on it and realize you might have seen anything different? Lee? I don't think so. I, I took a couple of photos with my crappy camera phone, and uh, I posted yeah, those online. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The only difference was at one point, I think it was when we were out in the parking lot, Jeff, I was watching it, and Jeff couldn't see it. And that was when we realized it was directional because I said, it's right there. What do you mean? And then I, I physically just grabbed him and put him in front of me, and he saw it. So that yeah. was like an yeah. aha moment of, ha, huh, okay, maybe that's why other people aren't freaking out and asking what this is. But at the same time, like I said, no concern over these two dudes just suddenly freaking out. And you know, and running into noticing something, lot. yeah, like where's the curiosity? I don't. I, I it mean, just it did seem odd all the way around. I mean, I think what yeah. took me aback about it was just how big it was in the sky. And at first, it was like a light to me. I mean, it seemed like a very big, round, bright white light. And I mean, big. I mean, not like airplane landing light uh, in your face. Not that big. Bigger. <laughs> And then all of a sudden it was this un- unbelievable green. And I'm just like, why in the world would there be <laughs> this humongous green light? I mean, a substantial size. It wasn't tiny. It wasn't airplane light small. Or, you know, when you get that landing light in your face uh, or in the line of sight, it kind of blooms a little bit. This was bigger yeah. than that. And I'm thinking, really, nobody else finds this unusual or did they just don't care? Um, and I mean, the directional thing was, was definitely in play there, but I question even if something is weird in the sky, do people really look up enough to care? I I mean, I really, I'm sorry to say that I really question people's interest, uh, in something like that. How many people see something odd and just blow it off and go, oh, well, whatever, and move on. Yeah, well, a lot of people say they don't even, you know, I've talked to people about all this stuff when they find out what I do and everything, and a lot lot of times people are like, I don't don't ever want to see a UFO. So it's like, they may consciously, they may subconsciously not even look, you know. Mm -hmm. You say here, um, slightly over 96%, 202 of the accounts received were described by providers as factual, while four were denoted as fictional. Are these trolls or morons? They may be people you know. <laughs> Who were the four people that submitted fictional? Like, what, what point did they re- reach the end? And they're like, "Oh, this isn't a short story contest." Uh, I had to, I had to diss on those four people. Uh, sorry. We uh, we asked them to do that, Tim. We gave them the option, and uh, the original goal was if somebody just made something up, just you know, okay, here's something you know, really. Whatever, and, yeah. and put it down. Could we see a qualitative difference between somebody deliberately being obtuse and uh, and a real account? And th- that was the goal. We didn't have really enough to uh, to make that uh, statement. Most of the people wanted to tell us about their experiences, and that that was fine. But we had actually asked. 
for that. Okay. As a, as a, um, and so I, uh, probably one of them was Jeremy, but we don't know. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> no, it's no. all anonymous. So. Disretracted, then. Disretracted. <laughs> <laughs> I was just imagining someone like, oh, this is my chance to really to finally get my story out there. Um, okay, now what, this is interesting here. It, it, it's kind of a joke, but in a way it's not. But, uh, you know, I've talked about the need for, like, this statistical sort of analysis on the show before. Tyler, I called you before Jacques Vallée made that big announcement. You remember. You did. I, I, see, I remember. Jeff, I told you. I thought of this idea that Jacques Vallée is trying to do a while ago. I think we all have, all, all four of us, have contemplated the idea of this massive sort of database idea. Um, and the example I use on the show when I talk about it is I'm always like, well, if we could find like a menopausal woman in East Texas and it comes all together into this thing where the next thing you know you're almost guaranteed to see a Bigfoot or whatever. Uh, I thought it stood out to me. I'm reading the, the paper here. It says, a correlation matrix of survey parameters revealed that lifetime number of events was positively correlated with being female, having European Caucasian ancestry, having a thyroid disorder, being anemic, identifying as creative, and feeling watched over or protected. So it's kind of like, no, I'm not saying we should, well, I'm going to go look for those women anyway, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying we should actively, uh, you know, s- seek out people. But that's interesting that it's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, Tyler, you don't know this. I have a thing for anemic women, um, but the, the oh. I know, especially ones with thyroid disorders. Wow. Um, yeah, that's But I thought it was interesting <laughs> because there you have it. There's sort of the idea that I've sort of been been sort of uh, jokingly pu- putting across that that. As you get more information, as we if we had access to the super database. You might be able to actually do that because just based on what you guys have, we've got a vague idea here, which is exciting to me. You know, it's like you you sort of have a have a have a a profile, and and as you get more information, I think that profile would be even more fleshed out. Now, I want to you can answer you can reply to that, but I, first I want to give you guys credit because you know we talked we talked a little bit here about the super database and the Jacques Vallée idea and stuff and. I got to give you guys credit for putting your stuff out there because as much as I really, really respect Jacques Vallée, I don't know if we're ever going to see any results of all this stuff. I hope he publishes something um, if it ever gets up and running. But there's another part of me that thinks that it's going to be sort of like a, a, a project for, and it, you know, for those folks in France and and sort of like the the people who were not even kept abreast of this conference are not going to be kept abreast of the developments either. So. Kudos to you guys for sort of bringing this out to the common folks. Um, you know, I've talked a lot here just now about all different stuff. So I guess maybe let's just talk about sort of the idea of honing in on on sort of the profile. Do you think that that's something that could be done eventually if we get more and more uh, information? Definitely. Uh, what you're actually describing is is what's often done in medicine. They talk about risk factors, things that might lead someone, for example, to be more prone to have heart disease. Uh, to develop cancer, those sorts of things. Uh, it's not quite the same thing, like if you get this, then that will happen, but uh, we may be able to find a, a group of people that are much more likely to report uh, paranormal experiences. And again, that would increase your odds of being able to uh, be there at the right time or uh, train them in such a way that they could document stuff better. Uh, so it would have some utility. Uh, right now, what you have are correlations. They are not equivalent to causes. Uh, 
And that's one of the things that I would emphasize. If you look at maybe some other studies, they, they find correlations. You're always going to find correlations. Something will correlate with something. There's a fallacy called the uh, Texas sharpshooter fallacy, and it's basically just an, these are accidental. It's not because you've honed in on a great target. They're accidental. And part of your job then is to screen them out. So we have a start. Uh, we have a few things that, that might work, and uh, we can begin to uh, narrow those things down. I think that would be uh, very valuable. Uh, statistical analyses have been done in the past with sightings. Uh, Project Blue Book Special Report 14 mm. was actually a reduction of data into a computer-readable form. And um, who's, the, who's the person that has put all this stuff in the Black Vault? Um, Greenwald? John Greenwald, yeah. Yeah, he, I think he actually uh, has uh, Blue Book Special Report 14 out there. You can see the whole thing. And, and it's very, very interesting how they went through and tried to internally validate their, uh, their work and their controls. This is still a great model. Fifty years later, it's still a great model for how to proceed. And they worked. This is Battelle Labs. They did a wonderful job uh, in, in trying to analyze the, the best data they could get, which unfortunately wasn't great. You're always going to be limited by the quality of your data. Yeah. But as time goes on, we can improve. And I think that's what Valet has decided as well, is that going digging through Project Blue Book one more time uh, probably isn't going to get you very far. We need some really good quality data that basically obtained the way we want it from first principles at the first pass. Mm. So may take them a long time, though, Tim. Uh, if you talk to Jeff and, and Jeremy, I'm sure they'll confirm that just what we did with 200 reports took forever. Mm. And it was really, really a challenge to finally get it all done. Well, it makes you wonder. I wonder sometimes if like somebody like Bob Bigelow's already done this and we just don't know it, uh, you know, just has the has the money to hire a bunch of people to put together a super database to to try and figure this stuff out. Um Well, who was who was the guy uh, I read about years back who had um bought an old missile silo? That's Peter Davenport. Okay. There's somebody that probably has called through his data. Uh probably pretty, pretty carefully. Uh when he started talking about it, I, whenever these guys show up and they have something concrete, first thing I do to the miracle of the Internet is I'm right there going, hey, uh, I'll help you. And that usually turns them into mummies. They just become totally silent. Did you offer to help Peter Davenport? Oh, hell yes. Did he yeah. tell you to go to hell? He didn't even do that. Oh. I didn't even get that far. <laughs> but, um, which is, that's fine. That's his prerogative. But whenever people have uh, something positive or data or whatever, uh, I, I'm very anxious to, to have a look. And most of the time, I, I don't get very far. There are some exceptions. There are some exceptions, Ted Phillips being one of them, who, well, who will you yeah. know, work with anybody. In fairness to Peter Davenport, he's been taking these calls for like 25-plus years or something like that. I think at that point I would tell anyone to go to hell. So, <laughs> Yeah, okay. He's kind of tired of... Uh, kind of tired of taking these calls i think especially i talked to him like five years ago and he was like this is right when cell phones took off and he was just being slammed with like teenagers pranking him <laughs> and it's like jesus dude if that wouldn't if the, the fact that he's still doing this is amazing after all that because i think i would give up after after like six months of teenagers pranking me like every day with their uh with their phony ufo sightings it would get old it certainly would um let me see here. You nailed the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. I had that in my notes, too. Is that based on something? 
I kept thinking of that dude in the uh, in the bell t- in the bell tower. That doesn't have anything to do with that, right? No, no. It's just, <laughs> I actually, um, it's out there. It's something I've heard of, but I, I couldn't tell you how that name came about or you know who even invented it. But it's one of the things that you will hear about as a, a fallacy to avoid as you're analyzing your data, hmm. and it is so very deductive. These things. No matter what you do, some things will fall out just by random happenstance, be correlated, sometimes very tightly correlated, and they become quite attractive because that becomes an explanation. And you're way ahead of yourself. You're way ahead of yourself. You've got to validate what you find to be correlated by basically careful testing and examination because if you don't throw out the spurious correlations, you're just going to be chasing your tail. And uh, and if you do enough, if you ask enough questions, you'll end up with so many correlations, you'll have no idea where to go. You, you really owe it to yourself to hone them down, uh, stay focused, and uh, and be determined to validate. Now, that kind of wraps up my notes on the general paper. I had a couple of notes here on the reaction pieces. Um, I guess we'll we'll uh, well. Jeremy hasn't said anything in a while, so we'll start with Jeremy. Um, Jeremy, talk about this response you had in the piece. You say, a closer look finds something striking, because you, you had access to the actual testimonies, right? Like yeah. The, you can't find those on the website, right? I wasn't, I, I didn't really, right. I wasn't looking around too much, but I didn't see them. Okay, so, um, but you say, a closer look finds something striking, which the participants missed, perhaps because they were blinded by fear, and there's a colon here, that the phenomenon relinquished its grip when the subject stopped struggling. I guess talk a little bit about that whole uh, observation that you made that apparently the participants didn't, uh, and what do you make of it? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, we we hear about this fear, and you know, I've talked about this this deep terror that's going on with this, and um, and so you want to put it on the phenomenon. You want to say maybe it's evil or it's uh, malevolent or you know something along these lines, but um, whether it be a visitor phenomena type thing where um, you are quote unquote abducted and then brought back. That's one type of relinquishing the person. But the other is, you know, people reporting some sort of demonic activity where uh, the moment that they relax and decide, okay, I'm, you know, there's nothing I can do. I'm a, I'm a trapped animal is the moment that they're, that the thing goes away and they're fine. Um, And, you can actually correlate this with um, with psychedelics, uh, where the more you struggle against the psychedelic trip, the the worse the trip is going to be, and the more you give in, the more essentially your you know your sense of self and control lessens. Um, the more you you're going with the flow, and the easier it is. Um, now, of course, it's we don't know that that would be the case with visitor phenomena because I don't think anyone's in their right minds to be able to to do that in the face of this, um, but it's there. I mean, to me, it's it's there in in the literature, and so uh, I think it's it, it's more. It, it, I think how about this? It's more. Um, I don't want to say correct, but maybe it's uh, we'd be better suited to to start looking in terms of um, comparing this to a drug trip or comparing this to other states of mind, or comparing this even to meditation and, um, you know, quote-unquote spiritual stuff, where, again, it, you know, what is meditation? It's the lessening of the sense of self, um, 
people report uh, phantom fears going through them and things like this. And the more they let go, the the more that happens. You know, the more the fears are fleeting. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's so. In other words, it points to something going on in the experiencer, something. Uh, maybe even hero's journey-ish about these encounters with so-called demons or so-called aliens and so forth. Um, something that, that caters more to a shamanic experience, to a hero's journey experience, or to a just letting go, as opposed to some evil entity out there doing evil for evil's sake. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It's just something saying, to look yeah. at. Yeah. Well, you you make the broader point, too, that it's like what you guys are doing here and is, again, something we've talked about on the show a long, long time uh, with Greg Bishop a lot, too. It's like the the whole idea, the whole like UFO studies area and everything, it, it, it's really been missing the point for a long time by not looking more at the witnesses and the experiencers and trying to figure out more about them. It spent all this time trying to figure out what they saw and not enough time really like looking at looking at the person who made the observation, because you could possibly, as we're finding out maybe, get more insights into the phenomenon by understanding the experiencer. So that's, well, uh, yeah, this uh, whole that's thing is sort a of the point right of Project Core, but then also I would, I would add to that um, also the nature of the interaction. I mean, that's sort of what I get at here. What is, what is really going on there? When you say that something um, is holding you down, uh, just as a vague example, something holding you down, a force or something. Um, uh-huh. And then the moment that you finally go, okay, okay, there's nothing I can do. I, I give up. It gives up. How evil can it be? So what what else is going on there? What is the nature of that? And so I think you have to yeah. look at a, sort of a multidisciplinary um, angle here where you, you, you've got to look into mythology, for example, to see, okay, where does that correlate in mythology as opposed to um, even just basic science. I see what you're saying. So you're saying like, go, it, it, it goes beyond just like a, a witnessing situation. It goes more toward like an interactive situation. You're wondering, what does that interaction mean? Yeah, I mean, which shoe fits better? Do you, when you when you see something like that, is it religious? Is it mythological? Is it astrophysics? Is it neurology? Like, let's try on all of these hats and see which one fits better. Um, yeah. But you know, to to somebody going through it. It's just terrorizing and, and possibly evil, which is understandable. Okay. This has got you written all over it. The Mets stayed in a Pittsburgh hotel that also hosted a convention of people dressed up as furry creatures. Oh, no. Is this Wilbot's worst nightmare? No, it's worse than my worst nightmare. My worst nightmare is mascots. <laughs> Look at that. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. What, what are they let thinking, me, Bobby? Right, let me tell you something. This is what, here's, here's the real story here. In 40 years' worth of being on the road, traveling around this great land of ours, checking into countless hotels of all stripes, here's what I've learned. There's a frightening amount of subcultures out there, Mike, and they all have conventions. <laughs> yeah, but you've never and seen I these people. I to understand one thing. I've never seen them. Stay away from me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Before I get into anything else, Cartot in the chat room uh, has an all-caps all question, so I should not even read it, but I will. <laughs> Uh, as punishment, I shouldn't read it, but I will. Uh, I won't shout it because that's how it reads, but I will not shout it. Uh, question! Is there any data related to how early experiences started? Early childhood on dot, dot, dot. I know you guys sort of asked, I think, um, frequency of experiences, but did you get into – I don't recall off the top of my head, but did you get into, you know, at, at what point did all this start? Was that a question on the survey? No. No. Okay. I, uh 
No, some I don't people, think we... But some people did indicate. Yeah, yeah. Some people did say that in their accounts that, you know, they had started at a certain age or since a certain age I've had this. Um, it wasn't a question that we asked. Um, and and again, it's it's one of those things that this is a really broad net in the paranormal. I think a lot of people look at Project Core because Jeremy and I are experiencers of the so-called UFO thing. Um, I think they immediately think that's what Project Core really gravitated towards, and it didn't. It was, I mean, if you could all read the accounts that we got, you would see just how varied that they are um, and how bizarre that they are. Um, but I don't think we ever got into anything as when did it start for you? Because that lent itself more to the how many have you had over your life, like you said, Tim. Um, yeah. how, how many repeats have you had? And so, you know, I think the question after that would be, well, when did it all start for people who said yes to repeatable experiences? Okay. Uh, well, while I have you sort of on the on the while you have the conch, I'll uh, go to you next here from your reaction piece. I found this really interesting. Um, because it seems to correlate with a lot of stuff uh, that uh, that I've experienced and seen uh, from all these years. This is just sort of this idea of liminality, maybe being a um, a spark for this kind of thing. You know, this, this yeah. people who are in sort of a state of transition tend to seem to experience these events, which makes you mm-hmm. wonder if it's like. You know, I had the poltergeist guy on this weekend, and I was talking about it with him kind of because it was like – I think that what's going on with the poltergeist thing, and it could kind of be broadly applied to what you guys are working on here with Project Core, is like people always want to go to this like either-or thing where it's like, oh, the teenage girl is making this happen because she's crazy in her mind and stuff and all that. and, and you know, Or it's a ghost and it has nothing to do with the teenage girl. It's like, I think there's like a dance going on here between the witness, the experiencer, and whatever this force is. And in the right place, in the right time, in the right moment, the force, can, the force knows when the right place, in the right time, in the right moment is. We have no idea. So that's why we're at a constant disadvantage to trying to understand all this stuff because the, the force <laughs> is out there like looking at the world or however it does it, you know, and then it just sees sort of cracks that it can sort of like jump into or whatever, you know. It's sort of a, you know, putting my mind into the into this supernatural force trying – I can't comprehend how it perceives things, but that's sort of how I imagine it where it's like we have one side that understands that it can do this and the other side doesn't and – you know, the moments come along and and the, the dance happens. That's kind of the impression yeah. I get. And then, you know, when I'm reading about the liminality. That sort of uh, that sort of piqued that that thought in my head. So talk talk about the liminality uh, aspect of all this. Well, <laughs> wow, that's okay. uh, <clears throat> well. Uh, what happened there? What what what, what did I? No, do? it's 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 uh, that's a really. Uh, long one. I mean, as short as I can make it, uh, the uh, the liminal thing, and I understand what you're saying, because to me, the way I started looking at it was, it's it's looking for a place to insert itself. You know, it's looking for that, uh, that chink in the armor to kind of wiggle its way through and therefore manifest here to us, for us to perceive it. Um, and Hold I think on, let me stop you, though, because now that you're saying that, yeah. I, I'm, no, let me just stop, because I now that you say that, there's also the possibility that 
that that it's more like a nat- not not natural in the sense of like na- nature like trees and birds and all that good stuff. It's just maybe it's just sort of like it it, it has a steady sort of naturalness to it where the person may just may cause it to happen. Uh, like like static electricity kind of I get might be a good way to put it. You know what I mean? Where it's like yeah. the electricity yeah, isn't, sure. isn't sentient, but if you rub your feet on on the rug and stick your finger at the, at the doorknob, you're going to get it. Um, yeah. So it could also be something like that uh, too. But go on. It I'm could. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, no. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I think the danger there is to say that it's an it. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's um, to say that it's looking for a way to get here. Um, you know, rather than to rather than to say um, it just is, it just happens. Um, it happens mm. because it happens when it happens, and that's just the prime stomping grounds. Um, and the other way is that um, one way to look at it is that our liminal state or our anti-structural behavior lends itself for it to manifest here in all sorts of different ways. The other way to look at it is that there is this large cultural uh, pool of uh, styles and ideas, and some have been discovered and some haven't. But there are cultural memes um, that people know about just by being alive in this world in this time um, that come through uh, by a manifestative process that is of us. Um, and not external uh, per se, other than we make the internal external, um, which is why I say that the creative um, uh, ranks so highly um, in these experiences is because if the musician and the artist use visualization and imagination in their work, um, then these people would have special access to these levels of experience, of human experience, um, and that's not to delineate or degrade, rather, the importance of it uh, or the notion that it could very well be external. Um, but it says that, um, like you say, Tim, the dance, that's a good way to put it. Um, there's, a, there's a give and take. Uh, I personally think it's external based on what I've seen from other people and myself. I think it's an external mm. thing. Do I know that for sure? No. Um, and I think George Hansen would say it's not a productive question to ask. We're asking whys, and we don't even know all the questions yet. Um, it, yeah. But it's normal to want answers like, like, like that you're asking. But um, I think when you're talking about um, uh, creative people and liminality, I mean, come on. What, what creative person isn't in a constant state of uh, uppedness, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> everybody, you know, we're the most non-structural people you can possibly imagine. Um, you know, we were, we were the kids in high school that were always accused of daydreaming. Um, I mean, it's just, it's all over us. I mean, the people who are creative, who experience this stuff, we wear it. And, and I might point out that the people who, and this is the way you have to look at this liminal thing. We have this study. A lot of people said, yes, I'm creative. Now, are they creative, and that's why they perceived what they did? Or was the phenomenon attracted to the creative people because they're the best people to be able to describe it to people who aren't? Or 
are the creative people, just the people who latched on it and said, I want to know what this is. And that's why they're in the paranormal field at all. So how many people out there who aren't creative have experienced this but simply go, well, I'm not talking about that? Because creative people, we're a little more out there. You know, I'm not ashamed to say anything about my life within reason on the air, (laughs) you know. But a lot of people would would say that's nobody's business. You shouldn't talk about that. Well, no. When I put myself out there as weird experiences and people say to me, have you ever done drugs? I go, no, not until it was presented to me as a as a, as a possible doorway, and then yes, I tried mushrooms. <laughs> you know, I'm not ashamed of that, but a lot of people would say, "Why would you say that?" So there's a there's a a characteristic I think that creative people have that lends itself to the liminal state and anti-structural behavior and anti-structural places and people. But we got to think about why these people are in the paranormal to even be aware of our survey. And the very fact yeah. that they're creative tells me that the creative person, when they're exposed to this, goes, what the hell was that? I want to know what that was, and I'm not stopping until I find out. Whereas the normal, grounded, routine person who gets trolled by the paranormal, and I do believe it trolls, um, goes, yeah, that was weird, <laughs> and moves on. Because they're more yeah. concerned about you know, everything else. So that's where I go with that. I mean, the the liminal state is is um, is to me a, a big part of all of this, and I, I mm. see it over and over and over and over. And and like you, I find it fascinating, but I'm not sure not sure where to go with it. And I might point out that in taking the paranormal or the uh, parapsychological class, that was not covered in any way, shape, or form. So. Mm. I think even they are missing out. The UFO yeah. subject was not covered in any conceivable way in this course because they say, <laughs> well, we don't want to deal with spacemen and spaceships. That's not, about the, that's not about parapsychology. And so see how the UFO field has already poisoned itself even to the people who are scholastically willing to investigate this stuff and do so academically. It's poisoned itself to them because they've already got the aspect that it's aliens and spaceships. So, yeah. again, it's, it's defeating itself. It's self-negating, which, again, is a liminality type of trait. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's all over it. I mean, it's really, it really yeah. is. And that, to me, if I had my way about the entire study, that is the direction. And it may be a side project where I actually ask people, at the point of your experience, what was your life like? And be open. We're not going to share this. Be open. What was going on in your life? Were you happy? Were you sad? Were you changing jobs? Were you getting divorced? I mean, and I pretty much, you know, I would be very interested to see what kind of responses you would get from that. But again, you're calling people who are already listening to you by virtue of you being in the paranormal. And so what are you going to get? You're going to get exactly, as with the paranormal experience, you're going to get exactly what you think you're going to get. Um, and so therein lies the, the roadblock for me on all this. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, you, you picked a great sort of a segue point there, because now comes one of our favorite topics, and that is, of course, shitting on ufology. Yay. So anyone, uh, you know, for the folks who are like, oh, Benal's going to shit on ufology again. Yeah, it's going to happen. Have they taken a moment from their 
35th rehashing of Bentwaters and, um, you know, the airship wave of 1822 to uh, to look at this study, Project Core, or, or you know, or are they still trying to round up the last Roswell witness? What's been the reaction well, from the UFO the, community, the, the, I guess, is the, is the serious question. <laughs> those are two different questions. I mean, one, you know, one is, are they paying attention? And I think, yes. The other is, are they going to promote it? <laughs> and I think the answer has been a resounding no. I mean, we've seen some <laughs> indications um, of other groups that are now suddenly doing experience or surveys uh, that they're claiming to be scientific, but at least from what we can read of them are not. Um, we've also seen uh, one well-known figure, I, I guess, um, talking about what native is, is it Native Americans? How many native? You know, a big percentage of people who have this experience are Native American, which um, you know, is arguably drawn from our work, but we're not going to get named for that um, because uh, we're not actually saying what he wants the data to say. <laughs> so there's mm. there's this problem. The pro- I think the problem is um, probably Jeff and I are notorious from uh, the destruction of hypnosis and alien abduction research and not liked, and I think we will be held at bay for that. Um, but also I think because all of us involved are honest about um, just what the limitations of such a study are, uh, it's to ufologists' benefit to speak about our statistics um, in terms of of what they want to hear as facts as opposed to actually asking us because they might be two different things. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I can also, I get get the, I haven't seen this or anything, but I presume too that there's also the sort of like this, you know, you can kind of, tell the people who are who are genuine and who aren't because uh you know i'm sure there's probably sort of an undercurrent too of people who are like why didn't i think of that or oh man you know they have all these doctors and everything it's this is pretty legit like fuck them you know like 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 envy or jealousy (laughs) you know because you guys put together a really a really tight project with some serious-minded uh people with some academic heft and it's like that does not compute with the uh with some of the stuff we see at these UFO conferences and stuff, you know. Well, see, this I, is I, mean, I can imagine. The, the, can I just? <laughs> I just want to throw this one little last bit in because you had said at the very beginning, uh, from what you could gather from what you read of Ellen Tarr's work, that we need more people like her and more people like Tyler in this field. And the answer to that yeah. is, then there's no more field. That's why Tyler doesn't get phone calls returned. That's why they're not going to be invited to the disclosure conference anytime soon. Um, because when you stand on the stage and tell the truth um, or speak a fact in a room of people who are not promoting that, there's a problem. So, you know, um, oh, yeah. if, it's antithetical. If Tyler, I mean, essentially, if, if, you, if, if you say that you wish that Ellen and Tyler were involved in this, then here's who you would have left in ufology by the time they were done. You would have Ellen and you would have Tyler. <laughs> And and Jacques Vallée, like and Ted Phillips, really, like that's it. And us in the audience, <laughs> right? Well, what you the other it would be interesting. This would be a great sort of like social experiment, Tyler. We need to just get like some colleague of yours that has a PhD, and we'll just like we'll just fabricate their whole uh, stance on things. Not even not even like a story. They'll just like because the point I'm trying to make is if if Tyler came along. Like out of nowhere tomorrow, no one had heard of him or anything, and then had the most grandiose endorsement of crazy alien ideas. 
where he was like, the CIA is 75% aliens. It's pretty clear based on the genomic, you know. He'd be headlining these UFO conferences, and it wouldn't even be funny because they latch on to these doctors and stuff. If, if, if you have the academic heft and you endorse the insane ideas, they're all about you. So it's even more like maddening. That's why we need to find a colleague of Tyler's and just engineer the faux ufologist just to see how far they'd go. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you've got – you know, uh, one, two, three PhDs on a paper, and then me and Jeremy. Uh, first of all, that's an anomaly in and of itself. Uh, but, but that aside, and I'm, I've said this privately, I think, to Jeremy and to Tyler, and I said I would never say this publicly, but I, you know, to hell with it. I'm going to say it. I don't think nice. the mainstream of ufology is equipped to have the discussion that this that this paper – or or project presents uh, because it's got real research scientists, not ones that are I don't know podiatrists that have been accused of unnecessary surgery. Uh, it's not you know um, uh, you know a, a, a science uh, you know professor who would say uh, you know well let me tell you about vampires. Have you seen Twilight? I mean this is not yeah. um, it's not your people have this really strange attraction in 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 ufology and it's a paranormal in general but ufology particularly where when they see the alphabet soup after the name that means something as long as that alphabet soup person is agreeing with their ideology when it goes against their ideology or it says well hold your horses let's reevaluate this and take our time they're not interested because they right. can't have that conversation they're only interested in the phds who will kowtow to their own opinion and validate hmm. it for him. And then they go, see, I was right. This PhD says I'm right. No, that's not how it works, and you don't get to do that. And so for that reason alone, you know, Linda Moulton Howe is not equipped to have the conversation. Sorry. You know, um, Rich Dolan is not equipped to have this conversation. Um, both intelligent people, but they're on a completely different page uh, in this. And, and that's hmm. how I'll say it. I mean, I just don't believe um, – you know, you and Greg Bishop are, are uh, uh, frankly, anomalies in this, and that you both speak with intelligence about these subjects and with some critical mind to it. That, that of course, you can have this conversation, you can present this, but, you know, is you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, name a podcast that off the top of your head, one that's popular that everybody likes, and would they be equipped to do this? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'll say that flatly. Well, it's, yeah, you know, I'll avoid getting myself in trouble. So, <laughs> so That's fine, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I yeah. agree with you. Uh, well, but, yeah, can no, I ask Tyler mean, a question on, on these lines? Uh, which is that the, the, the scientists who were working with Greer on, this, on the so-called alien baby or alien fetus or whatever, um, you know, these were mainstream scientists, right? These weren't just figments of Greer's imagination, and they got sort of uh, roasted for it. Um, do you, have you followed that since then? Are they out? And and what are your feelings about um, that? What what happened with them? You know, the uh, the person that uh, Dr. Greer ultimately got to work with him was uh, Gary Nolan from uh, Stanford, and he's a a very well respected, uh, renowned uh, scientist. And uh, he made very short work of the Greer hypothesis. 
that uh, Ada, the extraterrestrial, is not an extraterrestrial. And uh, I think, if anything, it was a, a swift object lesson in how fast these hypotheses can die, actually be murdered by data. And so um, when, when Dr. Greer actually got a competent scientist on board, because in my opinion, what he was putting out at first, these guys handling, handling the, the object at it without gloves and such, those were not truly high-powered people, Yeah. honestly. I mean, all the signs are there. But when he got one, he really got a good one. And, man, it was like putting that into a buzzsaw. It didn't last very long at all. So what is ultimately going to come out from that, I don't know. I've not seen anything uh, published by Dr. Nolan. He indicated he's off on uh, another project, um, which I consider very far-fetched. But anyway, you know, he's he's free to, to uh, pursue those ideas and apparently is. But one of the things that, that I would like to see is actually Nolan's report. And the reason is actually, this is going to strike you as odd, uh, but I don't take it on anybody's word. I want to see the data. And it's the same kind of thing that Dr. Sykes got in trouble for with uh, the, uh, not Yeti, but uh, a new species, or I should say the recognition of an extinct species of bear being present perhaps in the Himalayas. And people wanted to see that data. And when they did, a controversy erupted. Mm, yeah. Because one group did not subscribe to the interpretation that Dr. Sykes had. And that's what science is all about. So, uh, you know, I mean, is that an extraterrestrial, uh, not an extraterrestrial? No. Okay, fine, that fits with my preconceived notion, but I want to see the data to really find out, is my preconceived notion matched by the reality of these sequences hmm. or not? And, and we haven't gotten there yet, so that's disappointing. Well, we'll see how that shakes out, but I have a feeling uh, that not much will shake out of it, but we'll see. I think you're right, Tim. I think uh, probably in the end I don't think that uh, they'll work together well, but I hope that they do. Mm. And I don't, I don't wish, wish any you know, ill on anybody. Uh, I'd like to see the data. I think it's important that we complete those projects when we uh, begin them. And, again, uh, uh, I don't take on anybody's word. I, I want to see what Dr. Nolan has and how it shakes out and if I agree with it or not. And uh, uh, that's how uh, a good scientific investigation would be done. You can see that uh, fearing that it probably doesn't work, that um, certainly uh, Dr. Greer doesn't have any real motivation to push that. And uh, Dr. Nolan not being all that interested in that project now, looking for something new, also is not that interested in completing it. Mm. So what do we have is, is a job that's not done. And that's the unfortunate part. So I hope that they get that completed. Hmm. Uh, I missed the opportunity here to say thank you, Jeff, for your kind words about about uh, that I can handle the conversation here on this stuff. I agree with you that the ufology, it's got a lot of problems. Now, another group of uh, strange people that I don't care for is the skeptical community. Now, this thing seems kind of tailor-made for these folks, you know? They're always um, saying, you know, science is hard, so you guys did science. Did anyone in the skeptical community have any response to this 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 piece, this work, this project core? Has been any anyone who says, "Hey, good job, nice job doing this." Did anyone say anything, or or have any response to this? Tyler, you you have Tyler. colleagues in the uh, skeptical community. <laughs> um, Lance Moody noticed it. There you go. He, okay, he placed a, a comment. I um, 
I remember right, it's on uh, Jack Brewer's blog, The UFO Trail. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was not uh, that impressed. Oh. What well, was interesting, he, he picked out something, and he was absolutely correct. He picked out the thing about, oh, hey, look at that. Everybody's got super high IQ. That can't be real. And uh, so, therefore, uh, you know, this is really uh, questionable. And, and that's, that's fine, and, and his observation is great. But I would point out that the real essence of Project Core is to pick out these things and make hypotheses and say, there, that's a contradiction. Boom, that's where you go, because that's where you're going to find something interesting, is when it doesn't pan out the way it should, okay? Mm. Something's up. You know, what is, what is this? Is it that people are liars? I don't believe that. Is it that they really are all high IQ? They could be. But we can't do it on basically a fiat, like, oh, it is so. This is wrong. See, because the average person is average and therefore, no, you've got to prove it. Okay, you know, like Muhammad Ali said, you've got to whoop the champ. You can't just say it. You've got to get the data out there and you've got to show it. And that's the essence of Project Core. And so what I would tell you is, in one sense, Lance Moody was very correct and kind of like, sort of like the average skeptic in that you do half the job. You kill it and then you're done. Your work isn't done at that point. You need to offer something more if you can. Mm. And that's, that's where I'd say is that something more finally is out there, a counter-narrative to the definitive, okay, yeah, it's this. They're coming to make us all hybrids and, and, and do X, Y, or Z. Now we have a true scientifically founded counter-narrative. Unfortunately, it doesn't give us the answers, but ultimately it will. Mm. It will clarify. And so I'd say my beef with, with the skeptics is they've gotten too used to kind of half of a job. And uh, uh, where possible, I think they should enter and say, you know, it would be better if you did this. Uh, you know, you didn't find the Loch Ness Monster this way, but how about if you try that, if you have something to contribute? Oh, they don't have anything to contribute. That's their problem. I'm afraid that <laughs> sometimes that, that may be true. Uh, I would hope that if they do, that we could get that out of them. Uh, or, you know, I'm saying, here's here's a better way to structure this. Uh, right, you know, right. Here's what you did wrong. And uh, sometimes we get that. I mean, it's not like they're not all bad. They're not all wrong. But sometimes it's disappointing. Exactly, yeah. You know, I wasn't talking about I land. mean, they're always just picking the low-hanging fruit. I mean, I mean yeah, the low-hanging well, fruit is, yeah. I mean, when you, when you talk about the lowest-hanging fruit in Project Core, the IQ would probably be the lowest-hanging fruit. And this is what the skeptical, well, the I, fundamental I, skeptic will always gravitate to, in my opinion. I, I think you're right, Jeff. And I, I think also it leaps out at you. And, and honestly, not everybody is willing to do what Tim has done, and thank you for it, Tim, and, and Greg Bishop. And, and that is not everybody is willing to leaf through it and read it and, and jot down questions yeah. and whatnot. And so you see it, you seize on it, and then you can, um, if you wish, dismiss it and move on. And I don't know that that Lance necessarily did that. And I'm not saying that his, his uh, critique isn't valid, uh, but it's only a start point. Well, the frustrating part here, and this applies to the UFO community and the skeptic community, is that here you guys are. You're trying something different. You're trying something innovative. I mean, I don't know if this sort of thing's been done before. I presume, like, surveys of some type have been. But uh, sure. in recent memory, I, I don't think in, in the UFO scene, you know, you're trying something at the very least that's that's very rarely done. And and a handful of people in ufology have have talked about it. 
Apparently, just Lance Moody in the skeptical community has talked about it. It's like, Jesus, guys. I said it on the year in review show, and it's been the mantra here of season nine going forward that, you know, this is a this is a results oriented program. I'm looking for people who are making an effort to get answers. And that is what Project Core is not necessarily, as you say, Jeff, it's not an answer machine, but it certainly raises the questions that may be needed to ask. It's results oriented. Uh, it goes along with what I've been pushing here on the show this year. And it's like we, the rest of these people, they're just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. They're just, uh, like I said, they're looking for the last Roswell witness. They're they're revisiting Bentwaters for the 15th time. It's like, here's something new and different. Let's look at it and see see what we can do with it. And they don't. And it's like, oh, man. It really, uh, you, you understand why all those folks in France don't want anything to do with uh, the people in America. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the UFO. I mean, it, I, I, I mean it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the big reasons that I kind of dialed out because it's just like, you know, after I saw the reaction to this, I really thought that it would, yeah, you know, I mean, um, uh, Michelle Thomas, who worked with me on promoting Paranormal Waypoint, she spammed out, I mean, well over a thousand different Facebook groups with Project Core stuff. And I figured we'd definitely get some reaction. We'd definitely get some feedback. I mean, I'm looking for anything. Um, I'm not looking for pats on the back and, hey, great job. I'd, I'd like somebody to tell me what you think. I'd like somebody to say uh, what they'd like to see happen next. Anything uh, constructive. And there hasn't been anything. Um, uh, I mean, uh, to that end, there's there's been different people who have said, yeah, I'd like to have you on, and then you never hear from them. Um, it, it's it's um, – it, people who have said, yeah, I, I'm reading through the papers. I'd love to comment on it later, a threat on ATS, um, uh, and never Dude, commented the again. the 40 pages the, long. How long does it take you to read you know, most of its charts? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> you know, th- I mean, this is when it first came out. I posted a threat on ATS, and I said, you know, um, uh, be interested in, in what everybody's response to this is. You know, here it is. It's finally done, and um, – and the response was from one person, uh, this is great, <laughs> which is great, and thanks for that, but, you know, it would be nice to have something more. But as I said, this it requires thought, and I think, and I'm sorry to say this, I mean, I'm sorry who this offends, but it offends if it offends. I don't care anymore. It, You know, people want them to be handed an answer on a silver platter, and they don't want to think. They want to be told what is and what isn't. UFOs are spacemen, and Ghosts are the dead, and there's no room in the middle uh, for anything else. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, I said to Jeremy the other night, and I'll say it here, and it's probably the wrong thing to say, but, uh, you know, I'll reengage this when we're done with the Roswell slides and other assorted fucking bullshit that means absolutely nothing and is the absolute opposite of anything productive in the world. Um, you know, when all that nonsense goes away and it stops being cool and it's the beautiful people stop getting involved in this to be seen, I'll be back. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's just, to me, it's the most useless place to be. And it's the most useless waste of time to be involved in the paranormal as, as trying to make some kind of headway. You're better off doing exactly what Jacques does. And uh, God damn it, I'm a fool for not for not listening to him years ago, for not heeding what he does, which is to put your head down and just do it. 
and don't right. worry about talking to everybody and don't worry about defending every case and arguing points and all of this nonsense. Just put your head down and do something, and when it's done, present it and step back and go away again. That's the way to go, man. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it's a way to they're help in it for the mind. Facebook. You, you know, these, some of these people are, are, are in it for the Facebook likes, man. That's like all they're... You oh, know, you that's all they idea. care about. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, um, we're nearing the end. Can you guys stick around for a little bit longer? I wanted to find out what's next for all this, and I figure it's going to take a little bit to talk about. Can I get you for a little while longer? Sure, I'm sure. All right, nice. But we got like five minutes, so let's uh, let's do plugs for the live audience here. Vaney, you've got uh, the show on unknowncountry.com. That's the experience, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's mainly talking to uh, experiencers of highest rangeness um, about their experiences. These are mainly not people uh, you've ever heard of, um, and they come on anonymously, and we just talk about their stuff in every nine episodes. I try to loosely make them thematic. And then on the 10th, um, ideally would do a roundtable discussion or something about any themes that jumped out um, of the previous nine. So that's sort of the, the architecture of the show. But uh, in a way, I mean, to, to my mind, it's an extension of Project Core. You know, it's um, it's the, the, the one-on-one interview with witnesses. Mm, nice, nice. And Jeff, what's going on with Paranormal Waypoint? You got that going on at ParanormalWaypoint.com, right? That's right. Uh, nothing is going on. Thank you. You've adopted the banal model of broadcasting. I, <laughs> I do it when I feel like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When there's something to talk about, yeah, then I then I'll I'll throw out some audio. But um, I mean, mainly it's it's writing these days, and and um, and frankly, um, as you might have told, uh, as you might tell, I'm not bitter at all. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of my writing is. Um, uh, sadly has gotten derailed into why are we paying attention to this nonsense here? Um, why are we not asking better questions? And it it seems to get a lot of thumbs up, but not a lot of, of action. So I guess that's probably not the way to go. Um, but yeah, I blog there more than I'm doing audio uh, these days. Uh, so, um, but audio is coming. It's a, for my schedule and just getting into summer. My schedule's finally lightening up, so we're getting ready to do something with Jack Brewer and uh, and Tyler Coke John about the war on science, um, which was a National Geographic's cover story last month. And um, I think there's a lot to be said there that might apply to tandemly the paranormal fields as well. So um, that's probably coming within the next month or month and a half. And Tyler. Uh... Aside from the occasional op-ed piece that ends up on Jeff's side or on, on the Paratopia.net site, what what are you working on? Anything interesting? I got nothing. Oh I, man, I perfected the banal model. Nice, nice. So uh, the one thing that that I would like to say is um, uh, we've been so fortunate that that people uh, gave us all this information, and uh, and I thank them. I, your listeners tonight, thank you very much. Uh, people like Karen Tot. Cotton uh, Cartot, um, you know, thank you so much for the questions and uh, and interest and everything. Oh, yeah. you, have, you have no idea what that means, and it's it's so uh, important, and it's actually been so stimulating. Yeah. And so I, I feel very fortunate that, and, and also to Jeff and Jeremy for letting me be part of this. So thanks. All right, Car- Cartot, Karen Karen Totten says you're welcome. So you know this character, 
this car yeah, talk a character? Little, a little. Sounds like a science fiction character. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like one he's of those thing, one of those people that reach like a contact ease. It was like he's an artist, yeah. so uh, careful. Their name was Cartot. <laughs> she came from Venus. We need to destroy all the nuclear weapons. What? No, um, she's one of the good ones. And so is Tyler. And, and you're welcome. And thank you for uh, for for attaching your name to uh, a dream of Jeff's and mine. Yeah. Yeah, and and well, I can great. I can echo, I can echo what Tyler said about the people who participated in this because without them there wouldn't be anything uh, to present and 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 I guess uh, um, and I joke about it but I mean if I come off bitter it's because these people who cared enough to sit down and fill out a pretty lengthy survey I mean in terms of survey questions and to to boot to give us reams of uh, of of accounts I mean these are the people that are being ignored, in my opinion. They're being ignored in favor of nonsense. And that, to me, is what gets my dander up beyond all comprehension is, you know, these are the people that ignore it. I'm bound to determine that one way or another, um, these people are going to be heard and are going to be disassociated from the people who claim to represent them. So um, that's kind of like, uh, to me, is going to be one of the bigger next steps of all this stuff. It's a it's a weird situation anyway because abduction research is in shambles. So uh, who knows where all oh, yeah. that's going to go? I couldn't even. <laughs> aside from the aside from the infamous Dr. David Jacobs, I can't even name a prominent uh, abduction researcher right now. But we got 90 seconds left, so I'll just sort of uh, twiddle my thumbs here while I say goodnight to the folks, and then we'll continue the conversation off the live feed. Um, for the folks listening here live, you want to grab the MP3 because you're going to find out what's next for Project Core. We're going to get into uh, what the hell is the next step from here. And, um, you know, how do you develop this into a, into a next step? So we're going to get into all that in a few moments. I want to thank all the folks in the chat room. We had a lively chat room tonight. Uh, Car Tot, as we've already put over. Karen Totten, thanks for joining us in there. Alligator, always the first with technical issues. Gotta love that. Nothing, nothing throws you off a live show with the, with the person who gets into the chat room immediately and is like, "I can't hear it." <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. Let me stop everything and fix the show. <laughs> and uh, and all the other folks in the chat room. So <laughs> thanks, Allie. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Alligator, and uh, all the folks tuning in. Thank you so much. There's the British lady counting us down. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for tuning in on the live show. I'm going to eventually close the chat room and uh, enjoy the post chat. All right, there they go. So what is next here now? Uh, this thing took a long time, as you said. So what's the – I guess, you know, it has to has to come in stages here. First got to figure out what you're going to do next, and then you got to do it, and that's going to take time too. But, um, you know, have, mm-hmm. you, have you started thinking about what, you, what, what sort of the next step is with this whole thing? I don't know who wants to start on that. Uh, Jeff, I guess me. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> well, I mean, like I brainchild like, in the first place, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess, really, that you know, it's like I said on um, on Greg's show, it's uh, it's coming down to the two that I think are the easiest to approach, which is the IQ and the blood test. Um, and and Tyler's already kind of uh, given me the download on on what the blood test can be. And I'll let him explain that more, but I mean, that would be one part. Uh, and the, the IQ, if we can get a consensus from, um, 
from the psychological crew that this is what we think would be a good um, a good yardstick, a good way to take a depth measure. If we can establish something that's solid and that everyone can agree upon, um, then that would be something that I want to pursue too. Um, and unfortunately, here comes the bit that nobody likes to hear, but uh, unfortunately, I have to say because I'm not uh, rich. Um, you know, the bottom line is that if we have to have something drawn up and submitted to uh, psychology people, um, they're going to want to be paid. Uh, I don't know how much that's going to cost to have them concoct um, a team of a psychologists, concoct a an IQ test that they all agree is valuable, um, and therefore we would find valuable. Um, uh, the blood test kits are not, you know, free, but I have to make them free to people who want to participate. You can't ask them to buy right. it and submit to. I mean, it's like at some point you have to have a little bit of uh, uh, of uh, you know I'll take care of this for you. You just take it and send it to me, and that's enough for me. Um, and so in the end, it's going to be: Do I do a Kickstarter, um, or do I do what I never do, which is to like write podcasts and go, "Hey, can I come on your show?" Uh, because I'm doing this, and here's what I've done before, and you know, and I don't see that really happening because I just insulted all of them. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think it's going to be like a Kickstarter thing where, you know, I present Project Core and I say, here's the next step. Will you please help us buy, uh, you know, the, the, the blood typing test kits? Or will you donate towards X amount of dollars so that we can have the IQ test uh, concocted and we can pay these people to do it and pay for them to evaluate it? Because we can't evaluate that. They have to do that. So it involves getting a whole new subset of people involved. And again, they're not. Are they going to do it pro bono? I mean, we knew Tyler, but if we'd approached Tyler and he didn't know us from Adam, and didn't have an interest in this, and didn't, I mean, if he wasn't like in this in some connected way, we would have to pay somebody like him and and uh, mm. and and Dr. Tar and you know and Dr. Kim. I mean, it's like you know. These people don't grow on trees, um, and if we could find one, and I hate to say it this way, I hate to sound like I'm that pessimistic, but I'm not sure that I would want a. And this is only because of what I know of the psychological field that claims to deal with the UFO subject. I don't know that I would want their help. I would want somebody that doesn't doesn't have a preconceived agenda to do this. So that means approaching people cold which means they're going to want paid. So in the end, it's going to be, it's going to come down to funding. If we can't get funding, then I guess I'm footing the bill, but um, that's going to take a while. You know, if we want to get to something quicker, then, you know, I need help. I, I mean, I just can't do it all on my own. Now, have you thought about uh, just sort of, well, I guess there's a two part question. Like, is there anything you would do differently in retrospect, uh, looking at this survey that you put out, and have you thought about just maybe doing a second round of the survey now that more people know about it, just to do it again? I mean, I don't know if that's kind of a lateral move or what. I mean, because I'm, I'm imagining that I don't have to do any of the work. So <laughs> so to me, it's like, <laughs> just do it again. But have you thought about maybe sort of like refining the survey, uh, tackling maybe fixing some of the stuff now in retrospect you wish you'd done differently, 
you know, and, and, and then going another round on it. I mean, for me, the one thing that I think if I went forward, and I would have to do this if I did the IQ or the blood test, at that point, the experiencer would have to own it. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying I would share their names, but I would need their names. I would need a way to contact yeah. them, you know, so it would be a bit more invasive. Um, you know, as far as any of the rest, I mean, that would be the next step to me. It's like we're going to have to get a little bit more invasive and we're going to have to get names. And because it, in the end, data has to be accountable to somebody. And so this is the big problem with the paranormal field is no one's accountable for anything, <laughs> you know, except me and Jer. Uh, <laughs> and we're accountable. But, you know, it's it's uh, like anybody can say anything. But when a name is attached to it and a reputation is attached to it, then it's a whole different ballgame. And right. that's that's one thing I would want to do. I, as far as, um, as as Jared and Tyler, uh, you'd have to ask them what, what they would do. But that would be, for me, that would be the big the big point. Jer? Uh, more work? Is that, is that what you're asking me? Um, I, I guess two things. Would, yeah, have you thought about just sort of doing another round of the survey, I guess? And would you change anything? You know, maybe, maybe like I said, refine the survey to maybe after you got all these results in, you were like, oh, maybe we should have done this differently or done that differently, you know? Yeah, I'd like to sit down and, and uh, think up some new questions and combine them with uh, some of the questions that we've already gotten let's say, statistically out of average uh, responses for. Uh, one of them, which you didn't mention, um, was somnambulism, people sleepwalking. I thought that was interesting that that a lot of people, again, why would you want to admit to that unless it's just plain true? But it seems statistically uh, there, there are more people who are, you know, at least in this survey, experiencers who have sleepwalking issues than in the population by far. Um, so to me, that's something that could be, fun to flesh out. Um, but I would uh, take Jeff's lead on this and say that it needs to be, uh, it needs to not be anonymous. It needs to be, people need to be accountable at this point for what they're saying um, to take that extra step. And then from there, I think it would actually behoove us maybe to do it that way, to, to do a not anonymous survey. And then from there, uh, go into the blood test and the IQ tests and the, the, the whatever jumps out at us is something that we can latch on to and um, test um, just because I Right, because you can't follow up back, with these people that already did it, right? Because they yeah. just submitted it like in a web form. Yeah, but it is, like just said, I mean, not, not just these doctors who he would have to pay, but it's a lot of work for us, you know? it's a, <laughs> We're yeah. only two people. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, even though it took us forever to get to to, to get this far, um, I would maybe even want to wait a little longer before doing this, um, just because uh, I'm lazy. <laughs> just because <laughs> I'm still I'm still wasted from the last one, you know. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tyler, here's another think, thing uh, that, that just this. occurred oh, to ahead, me. Ahead, I, I just let me let me just throw this in here. Mm-hmm. I have to point out that a lot of our you know our responders to this were UK and US what would this be like if we could get a hold of somebody in say Japan and say we only want people from Japan to take this survey and I'll bet you you'd get a lot um yeah but who can we contact in Japan who's plugged into the paranormal community of Japan and and have them say hey everybody go take this survey 
it's anonymous. And then what kind of data would you get from people in Japan or Russia or China or South America? I mean, that, that to me would be a good next step too. And that wouldn't cost anything. <laughs> more work, that's about, you know, more time. But, yeah. But, you know. Japan's a tough nut to crack. I've been trying to break into there for years, so it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I don't know. It's quite the language barrier. It's hard to find anyone who <laughs> speaks both languages that can get you in, in with people and shit. Yeah. In serious, I, I think, you, yeah, that's right. I mean, Japan, India, Africa, I mean, how, oh, do, yeah. you, how do you get into some of these other countries that, that are not uh, – that, that aren't going to hear us, that aren't going to know about us? Um because the, even then, you could even if we did an anonymous survey through them, then we could compare that with with what we've got here. Um, right. That would be interesting too. As horrifying as it may sound, you almost have to adopt the exopolitics model because uh, at least they have sort of these like international ambassador types. You know, you need you need someone who's like who who can who speaks the language, who has the contacts, who can kind of be like you know Project Core Latin America and can do that for you. You know, so, you know, listeners to the show or whatever, put put the call out. Anyone who thinks they could do that, get in touch. Tyler, what about you? Uh, would you do anything differently? And uh, well, where do you see sort of like the next areas to go? Uh, in fact, I, I would change a few things with the questions in, in terms of their specificity. But um, the first thing I'd say is your idea of refinement is absolutely the, the first thing, the first direction I want to take. And uh, the other thing is uh, repeating it, although you might try to, to geographically uh, focus it, as Jeff suggested, but uh, repeating it. And this time, let's invite in the people who have hypnosis and see how that shakes out. And we can examine another hypothesis. But I would be very curious. Jeremy brought up synambulism, for example. If we ran the same survey again and asked for new people, uh, and hopefully everybody would cooperate, uh, would we get the same thing twice? And, and that becomes a, a real critical question. You know, what what are the parameters of variance here, and, and can we get a handle on those? Uh, those are, are critical. Yeah. Uh, George Hansen had an immediate question when he saw it, and he said, "You forgot the ages." And he he's right. Uh, that's an obvious thing to to ask, but that was one that you can put on me. I didn't put that in there because I thought we might get too nosy, and people not knowing what we would do with the data, will we put stuff out there, will we put enough stuff out there that they might be identified? Yeah. Uh, I think we have to be very sensitive to that. And I thought, you know, all these questions plus age, somebody can go, oh, I saw that before, I know who that is. Um, you, you run this balance. Yeah. And, But I, I think it could be relatively easily easily done, but Project Core has not been without cost. Uh, you know, Jeff and Lisa have put together the website, and they paid for it. And, you know, we, they're the ones that have footed the bills, and, and uh, if we get more elaborate, uh, I agree with Jeff, we, we really need uh, a funding source somewhere. We, we can't ask the people to pay to participate in our survey. Hmm. So uh, the other thing that – is it okay if I, I give out one of your ideas, Jeff, or would you rather <laughs> – No, go ahead. What, what, you talk. Just talk. Go ahead. <laughs> Do it, okay, man. One of, the, one of the things that that among many that Jeff has kind of come up with that I think is is a really critically important observation that should be followed up is the the overlooked aspect of the entire phenomenon 
really has been the experiencer himself or herself. And one of the things that, that he has talked about that I didn't understand until I started to listen to George Hansen and read his book finally uh, about liminal states and um, I guess what we would call life disturbances and whatnot playing out as, as paranormal phenomena, those are approachable. Those are scientifically approachable conditions and states. And we can begin to attack those and do some correlations if we can interact closely with some of, of the people. And so we, we would not be able to do this on an anonymous basis, but there may be a way forward here. And so if you remember, uh, Michael Shermer reported this very interesting series of events with the radio turning on yep. and off. And, and as Jeff pointed out, it, what exactly you have there is somebody in a condition of stress. I mean, not horrible bad stress, but uh, a marriage and, and, you know, the issues of uh, putting together a ceremony and all that, uh, that's stress. And, and so all these things come out, and, and maybe at that point you're more open to things. And, and so he explained things in a certain way, which is certainly his prerogative. But we would be able now to quantify some of these things in the right environment about stress. And, and you can stress people in, in very interesting ways. Uh, without you know necessarily putting electrodes on them and, and dialing up you know five thousand volts, uh, just uh, giving them tests. So you're and, saying we should do like a project for marriage service? Is that what you're? <laughs> a meeting, like a, a dating, dating site. Com? Dating okay. site. Yeah. You can see how this goes, Tim. That uh, sometimes uh, all my ideas just go out there and then they're treated with equal contempt. That's actually. <laughs> see, Jeremy's got a good idea though. I, I mean, and that's important. No, it's it's important. It's part of the give and take. So uh, it's sort of, Jeremy. Uh, See, what you could do, stress. though, I like Jeremy, just do like an e-harmony for the paranormal, and they just don't know that you're also synthesizing their data to get insights into who might be having experiences. So Well, I can, yeah, we I can want, honestly we're not tell telling them to advertise. We're going to just do surveys off of them. Right. Yeah, we're going to do science on you. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I can honestly tell you guys that uh, given uh, a thousand years to come up with something like that, I could never have done it on my own. What's that? E-harmony. Oh, okay. For, for experiences, we have to have this interesting mix of uh, of uh, brains. We'll call them brains. Well, it'll be interesting. So you guys don't have a timetable or anything. You're still kind of like riding the crest of uh, the release. So that's that's uh, that's totally understandable. And I noticed I listened to you guys on the uh, Radio Mysterioso with Greg Bishop, and this is no book or anything planned because you kind of assured the people originally that there wasn't going to be any book. So there's nothing uh, there's nothing in that regard that that people can look forward to or anything. No. You nope. have the report. What what is going to be basically published on this is out there now. Their accounts, uh, what they told us in in terms of data, that is all private, confidential, Uh not to be distributed. And and so that was the agreement, and uh, that's what we'll we'll stick with. And uh, I don't know about the future, but I'd say that if people are willing to share the data, we can certainly characterize it uh, anonymously, but we would make every reasonable and even uh, difficult effort to be sure that identities stayed concealed yeah well that's good that helps get you that helps i think with some people you know it it's important because not everybody wants this out there and sometimes there can be consequences and uh we don't want to create any 
Plus, it eliminates the idea that people, you know, the oft-held assumption that, oh, they're only in it for the attention. Well, it's like if it's an anonymous survey, dude, then they're not in it for the attention because they're not getting any attention. So it kind of cancels that part of it out, too. But to get more invasive about it, it would be great to be able to conduct a survey with people's names and have a contact number. And if if Jeremy had a question or Tyler or, or I or we all three had a question, we could just ring them up, like email them yeah. and say, hey, when would be a good time to talk? We have one question for you. And either talk on the phone or get an email. It would be good to have that dialogue with them to say, can you clarify this bit for me? Um, what about this? Oh, yeah. And and just get yeah, that little extra you know, cherry on top to, to say, okay, clarified, and now we've got a solid account that we can then say – we've got this and this is a solid block in the wall and then just keep building on that. Um, but without, that's been the most frustrating thing. You know, you're absolutely right. There are, there are grave limitations with the anonymous approach and, and kind of what you're talking about would actually be necessary if you want to have a more in-depth, uh, survey. And it's certainly appropriate. Scientists will do this all the time that they will, have the subjects who participate in drug trials, for example, and know exactly who they are and, and when they're coming in and, and all the contact information, uh, all that stuff. We just anonymize the data so that yeah. somebody can't figure out who that was or who got what. And that includes the patients, by the way, that when we publish the data, we do not necessarily want the subjects to know if they were in the uh, true uh, getting the, the real drug group or the placebo group. And sometimes right. they'll try to to solve that. So, but we can anonymize the data. We can protect confidentiality. Well, it's exciting stuff. Like I said, I got to put you guys over here. I've been calling for more statistical work for years in this field, and uh, I feel like it's one of the only avenues we really have that's not tainted by the bullshit. You know, the it really uh, it really helps a lot. We need more of this kind of stuff. And uh, you guys did some great work. So kudos to you guys. Hey, well, thank you thank for you. reading it. Oh, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed reading it, and, uh, and I was thrilled when you guys on, got so. it out. Oh, I was yeah. happy to have you guys on. I mean, I've been I've been trying to put this episode together for months. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <And> so, <laughs> will this be edited? Thank you. I was waiting. Thank you, hate mail. No, no, no that will not be edited out. America dot com. That will not be edited out. <laughs> so yeah, if if anybody's wondering what it's like to work w- with Jeff and Jeremy, there you have it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know what they'll come up with next. The thing that that is nice, and what I really really like, uh, is working with really creative people, and and that's Jeff and Jeremy. Uh, and so I don't know if all experiencers really are creative, but based on my experience. Uh, they would be great people to work with on projects like this. So, I just uh, like calling Tyler with my stories of crazy people in the in the UFO field. <laughs> there are a few. Yeah, but uh, but it, it really has been uh, a lot of of fun, even though it's been a lot of work uh, working with people that are uh, uh, extremely uh, interesting and creative. So even though they drive me to the point of exasperation at times. Well, you know. That's their job. You're welcome. Thank you, Tyler. And we enjoy your, your droll boredom. So that goes two ways. 
<laughs> I like it better when Tyler has that naivete because he just he sort of just is learning about some of these people. So then he's like, "Hey, have you heard of this guy Richard Hoagland? He's really in the like, no, dude." <laughs> <laughs> what is, we went through a phase like that where every other day Jeff would listen to me go on for about 20 minutes, and then he'd go, okay, Tyler, you can do what you want, but here's how it will play out. And he'll say this, <laughs> you'll do that, and then he'll come back with X. And within, I don't know, a day, I'd have to call back and say, you were right, Jeff. Yeah. Well, you know, when you've been in this a long scripted. time, you kind of can <laughs> understand <laughs> How this, how this no, no, Jeff, Jeff, is, Jeff has an uncanny Nostradamus-like ability to, uh, to to understand the minutia of every just single interaction you will have with people in this field. It it really is just like that. It, it's like here's a prediction, and it's not like some general prediction. It's you will do A, he will do B. You will do C, he will do D, and uh, and then you'll be right back here with me. So <laughs> and it, and it works out that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the perils of oh. being around for thirty years and this bullshit. <laughs> but I'm not yeah, bitter. Again, exactly. I'm not bitter uh, at all. He's not bitter, folks. He's experienced. No. Right. That's so it. Yeah, let's go with that. That sounds better. Yeah. yeah. He's wizened to how this whole thing works. Right. Um well like I said, I mean I gotta give you guys kudos for doing something different, for God's sakes, trying something different. Like what you know, for such a weird field full of weird stuff and so, you know, paranormal, boy, they sure, people studying this really sure stick to their guns on how to study it. It's like, mm. try something different. You're studying something, like I said with that show with Alex Securis, it's like extraordinary, extraordinary claims require extraordinary investigation. So do some extraordinary investigation for God's sakes. Don't just rehash the same crap over and over again, but, you know. That's yeah, but again, who who who, who decides what who decides what the what the serious deep investigation is? You know, I mean, uh, and we're working at a deficit already because there's no governing body here that that peer reviews anything. Or I mean, it's just it's a free for all, and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, it's it's a it's a shotgun blast at, at best. And um, and and, yeah, and you know, and this will this will probably be the last thing I say because I got to go eat, but. Okay. You know, even with even with Project Core, um, you know, it, I I would hate for people to think that or to expect that they're going to find consistencies in it because, like George Anthony has told me uh, countless times, if you're looking for consistencies, you're in the wrong place. The paranormal is not a place about consistencies. It's about it's about the differences. So, what do we find similar about the differences? Where do we find structure in the anti-structure? That's what you have yeah. to kind of keep your eyes out for, and and um, and, and you know, uh, I, I want to put a little uh, a little sign on the Project Core uh, website. You know, something like you know, abandon all hope, all ye who enter here, um, because it's not <laughs> a place that really it's not, it's not really a place that 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 caters to the uh, to the norm of belief in this stuff. We don't we care not to believe shit. I, I mean, um, I would, I'd rather know than believe anything. So, um, I mean, that's. That's pretty much where where it all lies right now. So, all right, man, go eat your dinner. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. So, uh, <laughs> thanks thank for coming for on the show. <laughs> thank My pleasure. You. And uh, uh, ParanormalWaypoint.com is Jeff's hub, so check that out, That's folks. Correct. I guess we'll wrap it up here because uh, 
think we've covered it all as far as we can go. I feel like we could go another like four hours, and it would just this just flew by. It's unbelievable how fast this uh, this show went. But uh, I, I will thank you guys again for coming on the show. Kudos once again for daring to be different. And that's what we need more of. Ironically, paradoxically, we need more people who are who dare to be different in the in the paranormal field. As crazy as that sounds, but we do. And uh, you know, kudos to you guys for doing that. So thank you. And uh, you know, you'll all be on again anyway. So <laughs> have a great have a great spring, and we'll all keep in touch off the air anyway. And uh, I look forward to future conversations with you guys. Thank well, you. Thanks sir. very much for reading. Thank you, the, sir. Yeah, appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. All right. I'm going to throw my plugs in here, so feel free to uh, eat your dinner or or bid farewell, unless you want to hear me do plugs. So you can stick around for that (laughs) if you'd like. (laughs) Good night, y'all. It's not as glamorous as it sounds. Good night, guys. Thanks again, of course, to Jeremy Vaney, Jeff Ritzman, and Dr. Tyler Kochjohn from Project Core. You can find out more about their stuff at projectcore.net. It's uh, spelled just like how it sounds, projectcore.net. And if you're listening to us on Blog Talk Radio, this has been All of America. This is probably the first time you've heard us, possibly, so let me tell you more about us. It's been All of America. We are a long-standing podcast. We're currently in our ninth season. I want to mention this because I feel like it bears mentioning, especially since we've had some taped shows the last couple of weeks, that if you're somehow subscribed to the Blog Talk Radio RSS feed to pick up the podcasts, just don't because you're not going to get the taped shows because I don't upload them to Blog Talk. So just grab the podcast feed from Benal of America. Otherwise, you're going to be missing out on a whole bunch of different episodes of the program which do not get posted on the Blog Talk feed. How can you find all that stuff? That's simple. Head on over to BenalofAmerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. There you can find the podcast feed you can find the entire archive of banal of america episodes i think it's up to like 250 shows by now covering just about every paranormal topic you can think of and some you probably have never even considered such as the michael jackson death hoax and meat eating horses yes we got shows on those topics folks so dig into the boa archive if you're on facebook you might want to check out banal of america on facebook that's where i Throw a lot of the in-house notes and news on the program. For instance, uh, you know, this past weekend there was the HBO documentary Going Clear, all about Scientology. Post a little reminder on the BOA Facebook page that if you wanted more information on Scientology coming off of that documentary on HBO, you could always check out our interview with Tony Ortega from last September where we talked about the Church of Scientology. So we give you some tidbits like that at the BOA Facebook page stuff that really wouldn't fit on the Banal of America proper website. So just punch in Banal of America on Facebook. That'll bring up the page and then like us. As I said, we got 250 shows or so in the archive. We just posted two tremendous taped editions of the show, Dyatlov Pass with Keith McCloskey and Australian Poltergeist with Tony Healy, two lengthy international calls two hours plus, both of those phone calls to the UK and Australia, respectively. Folks, that put a dent in my budget, and this time of year is particularly hard on me. And so i got to turn to folks now and really, really ask and uh, plead, in a way, here for some donations to Banal of America to help us get back into the black as we get ready for our spring season of programming. How can you do that? That's simple. 
head on over to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. That'll bring you to uh, some kind of PayPal thing, and they'll walk you through the process on how to donate. But if you don't trust the Internet, you don't use PayPal, and you want to make a P.O. Box donation, you're in luck because we have a snail mail address for our P.O. Box, also at Banal of America. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise commercial-free, freely available, and the archive-free for everybody all over the world. So many people wrote to me prior to the Dyatlov Pass episode saying, when are you going to post the Dyatlov Pass episode? Post it, post it, post it, post it. And, I mean, I don't want to be a jerk, guys, but... All those folks who were saying, post it, hurry up and post it, hurry up and post it. Well, I'm at work, I have my other job, you know, pestering me on Facebook and stuff. These are the same folks who don't make any donations. So if you want me to hurry up and get the show out there, make it worth my while to uh, hurry up and get the show out there by making a donation. That's really all i got to say about that. Coming up on BOA next week, well, we just rolled through, geez, two episodes over the course of about four or five days here. Popped one out on Sunday talking about Australian poltergeist and tonight here with the guys from Project Core. So we're going to have a little bit of a light week next week. April 6th, of course, Monday, April 6th is the start of the baseball season, which means once again, it is time for the annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. I'm happy to report that we've got almost the entire crew together again so far I've got Adam Go-Rightly in the can. I've got Greg Bishop already taped. Lauren Coleman has stepped up to the plate. Jason Offit, Red Sun Superman, Paul Kimball's lined up. Just got a couple of other folks i got to get in touch with for the baseball special. But that's what's going to be coming at you next week from Banal of America. Given how massive the baseball special is, I may break it up into two parts or break it up into three parts and then roll it out over the course of the week. I haven't really decided yet. I haven't even sat down to edit these segments, but they're about 30 minutes long, each of them. So we're talking about a huge episode. So I might break it down over the course of the week. But that's next week on Banal of America, the 2015 BOA Audio Baseball Special. And then following that... Since I know a lot of folks listening are not fans of the baseball special, they want the paranormal stuff. They're saying, oh, man, we're a baseball special. When are you going to do the paranormal show? So I can happily tell you that – let me just check the date here to make sure. Yes. Uh, actually, let me not plug that because I may have to bump it. So <laughs> we'll be doing a paranormal show the following week, I promise. So I just got to find out exactly uh, what day and time. So sometime the week of April 12th, we will have a paranormal episode. We'll be back in the paranormal hunt. And in fact, I believe we actually have the whole month of April already all booked up with shows and guests already uh, locked in and lined up. So hopefully we're going to have a real killer April for you folks, starting here tonight with Project Core and then going forward with the baseball special next week and then two or three more shows here towards the end, towards the middle and end of April. Good stuff, really good stuff. Folks I've really wanted to talk to, and I've managed to uh, lock them in for BOA Audio episodes. And with all that said, I guess we'll call it a night. I'm sure some folks are wondering about listener feedback. Once again, I completely dropped the ball here. Well, I knew we were going to go long with the Project Core guys, and uh, quite frankly, I'm kind of tired been a long day 
So I'm going to relax and rest. I hope all you folks have a great weekend. Have a fantastic Easter Sunday. You'll be hearing from me next week with the baseball special and then, of course, more paranormal madness in the weeks and months to come here on BOA Audio. Thank you to all the folks who listened to the live program. Thank you to all the folks here tuning in to the MP3. Thanks to all the new listeners, and thanks to all the ardent, old-school, hardcore BOA Audio aficionados. Thank you all for your enduring support of the program, and, of course, thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall. Thank you for listening and signing off.